Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And I'm not... Like when you asked me to do the interview, I was like, I don't think it's interesting, but <laughs> I hope it is. But I'm just saying, like, be, you can be ruthless if it's not, if you're like, okay, that, was, that wasn't that. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm sure it will be. Okay. Well, okay. That's that. Yeah. You don't, you don't know the nerds I've got listening to this. <laughs> you know? I've listened to a few of them though. They're good. I actually, I think, I think I did. I we were recording, by the way. I'll, yeah. I'll edit some of them. But yeah, go. On. But I'd already subscribed to it a couple of years ago. Oh, thank you. And had listened to some. Mm. And when I went to find it, it was like it wasn't my subscription. So I've listened to a load, loads more. Mm. Right? Yeah, oh, it's good. You. But it's also intimidating because you're like, yeah, there's some really good advice in them, and I don't think <laughs> I've got that. But then I guess you never. If something's instinctive to you, you exactly. Don't really, yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's the big thing. I I've presume noticed. that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the big thing I've noticed about doing this for for so long is is people who are who have done their job for so long think what they do is boring, and that's not just like people behind the scenes. That's performers as well. They always, you know, when they're asked, "Oh, what's an interesting thing you do?" and and you and they tell them things, and pe- and you think people are overreacting in interviews yeah. because they're like, "Oh, I didn't know you had a thing, but you know, a little tradition before you go on stage." But the reality is, is it looks better from the. It's really interesting from the outside. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's hopefully. A, hello and welcome to the RC Industry Podcast, episode 131. I'm comedian Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, and today freelance TV production. Jason Dawson is a freelance TV comedy producer primarily based at Avalon. Avalon are one of the biggest and most influential agencies as well as production houses in the UK if not the world. Avalon TV have produced hundreds of hours of TV and Jason has had a hand in a lot of it in the last decade. He's worked extensively with Russell Howard from booking the stand-up slot on Good News to attending his work in progress shows building up material for that show. We got into how Avalon TV operates as a company how to pitch shows to them, his relationship with the Edinburgh Fringe, how often he goes to see live comedy, and more. We also debunk myths such as, does Avalon only book its own acts for the shows it produces? Can you pitch a show without an agent? Is the Edinburgh Fringe still a springboard for TV? And so much more. We did one round of recordings and we had so much fun that Jason emailed me and asked to come back on to talk more about how he uses the Edinburgh Fringe and how TV works and how you can get into it and real practical nitty-gritty advice. 
I had a great time both times hanging out with him and meeting him. It's the reason why this episode is, about, is much longer than one of my normal ones. I think you're going to get loads out of this. Anyone who wants to get into TV or has ever been interested in how shows are made or even discovered as a format will really enjoy this show. If you know someone who will enjoy this episode, please pass it on. I'm going to keep my intro quite short and sweet because I really want to just dive straight into the podcast. But if you'd like to come see me live, there's some links in the show notes. Please check out my shows. I am currently touring around Australia and New Zealand which is very exciting first time i've been over there so if you are in perth adelaide wellington or dunedin please look me up and uh, come see me in any of those places if you're not in those places i'll be back in the uk soon i'll be doing shows they'll all be on my website check that out uh yeah thank you very much if you're new here please don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you're old here please do remember to give us an honest ideally positive review in itunes and either way please do join the facebook group it's called rc industry podcast and it's on Facebook, obviously. It's the best place to get your questions asked to future guests via me. But for now, this is Jason Dawson. Well, so I, I mean, have a look. So there, it is a separate entity in terms of how it runs, frustratingly so sometimes. But there's also a synergy of, like, it's all under the same building. Uh, at the top, it's the same people that exec the shows that manage the company. So there is a link, but you're definitely... Uh, it's definitely a separate entity, as in... I'm trying to think of the best way of... Can anyone submit shows to it? To Avalon? Yeah, to Avalon tele- televisions. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, all there is is that, obviously, there's a communication between... So I know all the agents at Avalon. They're in the building. I talk to them more. So I know a lot more about what the acts are up to. I get invited to the shows and and, mm. and whatnot. So there's acts come in the building, so you talk to them then. So there's just a very, in a very basic human level, I see their acts. I'm more aware of what the company's doing. Mm. But it doesn't change the separate... Entity, it is a separate entity in terms of how a production runs. A production is is absolutely its own uh, its own thing. Mm. That's not to say that there's not um, a crossover, but that's at the top, and so it's not something that really impacts when I'm running a production. So when I I produced the stand up slot on Russell Howard's Good mm-hmm. News, I think a lot of people thought, oh, all the, all the Avalon acts naturally get booked on that show, mm. and that really wasn't the case. I mean, some Avalon acts left Avalon because they weren't getting booked on that show. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I'd, the process of that is I would drop a list of comics that I wanted to do. It. I'd chat to the execs. Agents at Avalon would pitch in their acts, but in the same way that agents at, pr- uh, yeah. at, other, at other agencies would pitch in their acts, and the channel would have a say as well. So it was absolutely just run the way a, a production would. Obviously, I'm just naturally more aware of who yeah. those people are because I'm in the, I'm in in the, the same, same building. I'm in the same building. But I think sometimes people think it's just one big round table. Yeah, that's like a really yeah. big misconception. When I put out in my group, in my, in my podcast group, where I say, you know, have you got any questions for this guest? Yeah. The, the big thing was, how come you only put your own acts? Or how come... And, and, and I don't think it was an accusatory thing, but I think it's kind of like it's seen from the outside that, that it's sort of this club, the ones you're part of it. And I suppose, it, but on a business sense you know in, in a defensive thing if it was that way i could understand why it would be because it does benefit you to have your yeah. acts on tv but i but I, I did have a look at the because there's like a wikipedia with it on and i was looking through them and they are you know it's clear that they're not all your acts yeah so, and a lot of them that like weren't avalon acts when they should so so lou sanders was on russ Howard's good news in 2013 she only signed with avalon last year and mm. it wasn't part of a big master plan it's, you know so i think there was always a fairly healthy mix and i'd, I'd certainly as a producer because while i work for Avalon I'm not like I've for the most part I've been there I've been a freelancer mm. so I've had to and I have went elsewhere a couple of other times so I'm not that deeply embedded in the system that that I'm working on behalf of management or anything mm. so I would always push back if I felt like someone was being pushed 
but the exec producers are agents. Yeah. They believe in their acts. They think their of acts course. are good. So they yeah, will yeah. pitch them and put them forward. Yeah. And they've got the ability to communicate why their act should be on the show more easily than an agent an outside agency yeah. so there's that, that you know there's naturally that crossover but yeah i think it the record of it's sort of i mean in terms of the shows i've worked on i think the record sort of stands up mm. in terms of a, a balance like it was interesting when uh, a few years ago Stuart lee mm. made a remark about that yeah and we'd had acts on good news that he later put on on his show or that were more alternative and didn't have agents Mm. than a lot of the acts that you know i mean so it just i think it's a in some ways there's obviously validity to the crossover but i don't think it's as cynical or as engineered as people think it is i think it's just on a it's on a very human level Mm. and the same with you know in, in the in the industry there's that term of like is who you know yeah yeah and i think that just means that there's a there's that crossover and that's not a PR-ish answer because I, no, no. again uh, if I've ever felt like that's happening I'd, mm. I as a producer I push back but I'm hired to make a show I'm not hired to work for Avalon as an entire entity completely yeah yeah I mean it, it's a similar thing to like if, I, if I'm walking on Calgate and I see someone flying the show and I go actually I've got a time top three and they're there like it, it's, it's just right place right time mm-hmm. and if you happen to be in the building if you happen to be in the exact building all year long it just it just works out well for that act and businessly long term for them to be businessly is that a word yeah um, well we know what yeah, you, mean, it's you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. language is flexible um, <laughs> especially at this point in yeah the oh god yeah yeah <laughs> so we're about a week into the fringe at this point um, and so it's day 740 there's a lot of people just realising what they've done yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god I'm so tired it's been it's been a, it's been such a long week and I've only had one day off so far so um, did you start uh, uh, end of July yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Right, so well, I, I came up two weeks before I always do two weeks worth of like previews around the Highlands oh I've that's got, such a great idea yeah, yeah. yeah. so I did uh, Dundee Creef uh, this is not interesting to any of you but next year remember I'm doing them every year uh, Dundee Creef Aberdeen Peterhead Glasgow I can't remember there's, there's about that's really so smart there's, there's about seven or eight of them and then I do all the clubs the last week the week before and then I and then I come do the show nice. so it kind of gets the buzz going it was really nice I bumped into like five people from the lemon tree gig the other night and I accidentally flyed them and they were like it's very funny and someone else went oh can I have a fly and I went you, you bloody can <laughs> um, so it's actually really useful and it can I mean obviously that's one <laughs> but it helps in long term I think for yeah. word of mouth because it's so unless you've got a massive PR here it's uh, I feel like you feel like you get drowned out a little bit yeah no that's really smart I think so many people just preview in London and then mm. they're in for a shock when they're yeah. playing for, I mean I know a lot of London people obviously come up to Edinburgh yeah. but in terms of understanding where the, how the material works elsewhere mm. that's a really smart move mm. yeah well I also like doing it because it's it's weird because so we're in my room now it's 28 seats right? right and all the preview shows I did were at least 50 or above and they're all pretty full so it meant I was doing more <laughs> like even even if this sold out I'm doing it to more people before I've even got to the festival yeah, yeah. which is always weird for me with previews because because this year I did more even if this sold out every day I would have done more to more people in previews than I would have done at the fringe right but it's because it's harder I think to sell when you're com- competing it's like going you didn't have a thousand people coming up to you <laughs> exactly you were, yeah. yeah it's like trying to chat to a girl at a bar you know there's 500 people that want to chat to that girl at the bar versus you know if you chat to her I don't know when she's walking a dog or something oh that's probably not the right analogy but you know what I mean well, like I guess if you both got there when it opened and you were the only people in the bar. In the bar, there you go. That's the better. It'd be manager. awkward to ignore each other, and then, but then, yeah, then a rugby team comes in, and, and you're, then and you're, you're yeah. and the bigger boys, and I want to leave. It's also funny. <laughs> that, um, and we're in your venue, and you're 
on the stage facing me and, yeah, I'm, sat the, and I'm sat in the front row just instinctively we've yeah. both resumed our, we've sat in our na- natural yeah. positions I yeah. didn't even think of that when I sat down because <laughs> normally I do it in the other room and, I, and I've just realised I do the exact same thing in that room but it's not it's not intentional it's just where I sit yeah um, that's yeah, yeah. Just funny it's amazing I should have left the lights on um, <laughs> but um, okay so, so other people can submit ideas essentially okay. so like, like BBC Studios it's like an independent it runs independently but it is in house it is in physically in house so yes. if people wanted to submit ideas do you have like a certain time of the year like BBC like how do you run that and how do people protect their ideas because I think a big misconception about indie production houses or production houses in general is I'll send my idea and they'll go it's not for me and they'll write it down on a bit of paper and use it anyway that I mean uh, and I won't be the first person to give this answer but if someone sends in an idea that you really like why would you not want to work with that person you know I think <laughs> As in, if it's a really good idea, you'd obviously want to work with them. I think sometimes... Because they're the creative mind behind it. But sometimes the mistake that I think a lot of people make is they'll submit an idea and it's in an area that is natural, that naturally is a... If you work in TV, right, and you work in development, which is where these ideas would come to, every single day you're searching and trying to think of ideas. At Avalon, you don't... I mean, I work in development at the moment on my own, so I don't work in a team. But in other places, if you work in a team, you're going to you're, you're gonna be searching high and low for ideas. Mm. That's your job. So the obviously, the, the chances are that the idea you pitch is probably being thought of. I mean, <laughs> I think that's just a... I was going to say it's a proven thing. I have no stats behind that. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I really... It's so bad because I want to give examples, but it's hard without... But let's say you've got a... Can I say it's 10 a.m.? Just like, in case anyone's listening, it's very early in the morning as well. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, but I'm trying to think about... So, I mean, I'm trying to think... There's there's actual examples, but I don't want to hurt anyone. But there's like a... I can beep out names if you want, if that but if you, but if, Okay, so if you go, I've got this idea uh, of, a, of a show that is, involves films, mm. right? And then six months later, that production company is doing a show involving films. What do you think the chances are that they've come to that? Come, they've come to an idea about films because films are massive, you mm. know. So, I think some people mistakenly think they've got ownership over that area or genre. I know exactly what you mean. Whereas yeah. if your idea is very specific, then I think you'd want to work with that person. I know that's how I. I mean, in terms of projects that I've got at the moment, working with outside people, I'm working with those. They they've brought things to me, and I'm working with them on the idea, and the idea's evolved since I've got involved. Mm. But um, that was a nice little bit of rhyme in there. Yeah, yeah um, I was going to say. It's evolved since I've been involved. Uh, but it's still fundamentally theirs, and they're, and they're involved. So um, <laughs> I've done it again. More rhyming. Uh, um, it's 10 a.m. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And you're a poet. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I, that idea of having your idea stolen, I just wouldn't worry about it. Mm. I mean, there was, I mean, recently there was a, the whole Obonjo thing and the, and, the, and the dictator thing. Yeah. And I remember publicly saying to him, oh, I stand with Obonjo, you know, just because I was getting involved in the thing. And privately sort of saying, there's been there's been Ali uh, not Ali yeah, Ali G Sasha Baron Cohen did a dictator a little while ago he did yeah. the thing you know there's been there's been that around I think Channel 4 did a African dictator show in the late 90s I as think, well yeah. someone mentioned to me that that idea had been done on British television yeah before he was doing it as stand up yeah. it's, it's a good idea but, oh, it's, it's, not, idea. but it's not but it's not a he he owns it on the circuit. I think if someone started doing it on the circuit, yeah, definitely. he'd have more. He'd have more. Um, but it's it's a weird one, isn't it? Because 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 I know him better than I know the ca- the person that's run like playing the character on on stage. I do feel more an allegiance to be like they've probably stolen it from you. But then there's part of my rationale that goes, how hard it's I I personally. If you f- if you think about how hard it would probably be to steal an idea, I I you know as in like to 
package it separately or change it enough that you could legally not be I just think it's more hassle than it's worth and like you said if, if the creative minds come up with it it just feels like and, and I feel like I'm now just defending something that I didn't even you know put yeah. forward but it just feels like it would. it's more hassle than it's worth is that not but it's a, it's a, it's a good faith thing as well I don't think there's a lot of good faith towards people that work in television. I think there's a presumption that no one knows mm. what they're doing and that there's and that no one is creative. And mm. it goes back to what I'm saying that's there's not this round t- there's not this round table at the BBC where they're sitting going right what ideas can we make. It's mm. people normally working in separate departments yeah. and small team trying really hard day to day to come up yeah. with ideas and you know I've 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 worked elsewhere in development again like at Avalon developments a little bit different working internally not in terms of process but working internally mm. you're, you're not necessarily working in big teams but I've worked in a big development team before mm. and honestly you you, yeah, yeah. you try and leave no stone unturned of course and so I the story I think their story with the um, with that was that they saw an African dictator on the news mm. and that inspired the idea and I just I can I see ca- that happening. in a good faith sense I yeah. just completely buy that because yeah. I know when you're in development how desperate you are that, but that's not to say that you know I mean it, I'm sure it, could, it happens it, uh, yeah. but it's way it happens way less than people think it is mm. but I understand why it's such a good narrative if you're struggling I'm not saying he's a struggling no, comic no, I, no. I don't know but if you're the underdog yeah, it's I, easier to it fits the narrative to say that the BBC stole your idea yeah. when actually if you break down the BBC into characters and people yeah, yeah. more of them are good people than oh, yeah, yeah. than bad and I'd be very surprised if that if that if that all played out the way a lot of people think it did. Yeah, so I mean, I I do another podcast about time travel, and I remember talking to I, I had so re- I've read about that after, oh, and it's really it's a really good idea. I thank need to you listen very to much. Some. Please do. Um, so, but I took it to the BBC because I wanted to do it for Radio Four, and uh, and then and then I I did an interview with John Montague at Sky, and I mentioned to him, and he was like, oh, I love it. that's a great idea, you know. And now they're doing a show with Ramesh Ranganathan about time travel. Now yes. there was there was there was a part of me when because people started sending me links to it when it was announced on Twitter that went, hmm. Mm, but then I was like, time travel is not a not a thing I own. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. it's, it's not a, it's not a it's not a format that I could do. It's different enough from mine. Yes, I was working on it with a TV production company that would have would have probably ended up in a in a similar area just because there's only a certain number of ways you can bend that idea. Yeah. But but I you know I got over the whole they might have stolen it thing fairly quickly because what's the so I don't really talk about you know on, on a yeah. on a thing before but I just because it's why would why you know why why bother take it you know they, they, they've probably got their own production team that they're working on stuff and so and also even if they have like what what would me kicking off to go you've taken my idea really solve because if they had stolen it that's not the route to go down that's you go down a legal route of you yeah. know of, of copyright stuff so I don't, I don't know I feel like I feel weird about when people accuse TV again I think it comes down to what you said there where I think everyone thinks everyone in TV's not creative because a lot of people badmouth TV by saying oh it's all crap I'm going to watch Netflix yeah. the reality is you're watching something from the 1990s they've just bought on Netflix 99% yeah, yeah. of the yeah. time so the irony is we're not exactly being that creative we're watching either yeah. yeah there's also there's just so much content out there now there's too much yeah. that, I mean I've noticed crossovers with comedians jokes where I'm like oh yeah. I saw I saw, so, I, I saw another comic tweet yeah, an yeah, idea yeah. like that and you're like have they just seen it and it's seeped into their subconscious yeah, yeah. I don't think that person's going through Twitter trying no. to steal joke and similarly you just don't know how someone might have seen a link to your podcast and they've and time travels in their head yeah, yeah. and a month later they came up with an idea of, without yeah. knowing what yours well I mean again I'd be very surprised yeah, that's yeah. a not point not point not percent chance that that happens exactly yeah but yeah it's such an easy narrative mm. and I, th- I do that's one area I do feel I've met a lot of 
uh, can you swear on this? I've met a lot of wankers in TV. Mm. Don't get me wrong, that are not creative. Yeah, yeah. But I've also met a lot. I've also watched a lot of comedians that are not that good. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And then yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've watched. I mean, I love comedians. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and um, yeah, but they're not to your taste. Let's put it that way. But yeah, yeah. So in every industry, there's those people. But yeah. for the most part, people get to where they are because they're good and that yeah. they're and they and they're trying really hard. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think the most most people don't want to steal stuff. Maybe that's, maybe yeah, I'm yeah. naive, but I, I certainly wouldn't be able to live with myself yeah. if I'd nicked an idea from someone or e- had even taken the yeah, basis of it. Yeah, it's hard it to... W- I mean, most of the time now, I, I, I'm friendly with Adam Bloom, yeah. and, he's, and he's got this policy of if I hear anyone doing anything near anything I'm doing, I drop it. Just immediately, right. I don't even develop it anymore. And and I've sort of started to have that policy myself where, you know, if someone's doing... It's, it's largely why I don't talk about politics because I feel like it's, you know, I, I personally don't know enough about policy to do it. John Oliver's got his own team, so he, he's obviously yeah, going to yeah. cover it all and I don't need to, you know, be compared to him any bloody more. And uh, <laughs> seriously, two reviews now. Two reviews have said I'm that I'm... i said it because I was thinking it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, fucking <laughs> I've got I've just got classes. That's all it is. <laughs> it's not a bloody, you know... But yeah, but he... So I don't need to be compared to him. And the amount of people that just, you know, have a go Theresa May for what she looks like. I don't need to do that. I, d- I don't need to bully someone based on what they look like. I don't think that's worth doing. So, yeah. so I just get on with my life and I find other things. And it's and it's and it's annoying because sometimes you know people will go, oh that line. Like I like I had an I- I've had this idea for something and someone said, oh that line's really similar to something Bill Burr did like five years ago. And I looked it up because I'm a fan of Bill Burr, but I'm, I don't I've seen absolutely everything. Yeah. And I was watching it and I was like, well no, because. Like and in my head, I was trying to validate, and I was going, "Should I even carry on with this?" Because like, if one person's noticed it already, is it even, you know, like, is it even, is it now more in my head that I've watched it? Yeah. Is it going to cause me that sort of aggro? And it's sort of like I don't know. I I always think that if you. I don't see anyone as competition because I think if I did, I'd be too worried we're so similar that that's the problem, not that they're competition. Yeah. Because I feel like you need to be unique enough that people just book you. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Just yeah. just be undeniably good yeah well. yeah i think it's that thing if you know your intent yeah and you know that you didn't see that bill burr line yeah. and it is you know if it's the exact same word for word then mm. obviously but well that's mad now that you are aware of it yeah 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 but no, it's again it's like if you know your intent i think you should like you should be able to back yourself yeah, on, yeah, yeah. because there's just yeah there's no yeah. no one has a monopoly on well, it's a bit like ideas I, and, and, and areas to talk about completely i'm doing i'm doing a compilation show up here called two truths and a lie and and i registered that after friends last year based on the fact that loads of people kept coming to the show and asking oh is it true is it true because i was telling a lot of stories last year yeah and i and i had this idea based on a dating app that i was on at the time which had um you know the the game two truths and a lie on it and i thought wouldn't it be funny to do it with comedians and this year there's another show that like people BH took on at like May time that has that the same title and everything. The same title, yeah, the same title and oh, everything. Wow. But it's not in the main brochure because because they registered it after the, you know whatever, and they messaged me and were like, "Oh my god, we're really sorry we didn't know." And I was like, "I don't own it." Yeah, like I you know I ca- I came out of it as well. Like I you know I, I assume you didn't see it in the brochure and go, "We'll add that in again." Yeah, because that would just be silly. And and they were like, "Oh oh, you're being really nice about it." And I was like, "Not really. I just why, why would why would I get angry that yeah, you've had yeah. a similar idea? If anything, great minds. Do you know yeah, what I yeah. mean? Like I I feel like you know maybe we maybe we can co-produce or we can you know co- cross promote or I don't know. Yeah. It just seems really odd. What's so funny about that is that there's a show, a live show called Werewolf that I'm oh, yes, working on been development. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, just being announced, it's just something yeah. we've got in development. But they open the show as an, an evolved idea that's, that's happened, but it's just at the top of the show is uh, everyone goes around saying one truth and one lie. So oh. I'm just flagging this now. Okay, <laughs> fine, fine. <laughs> because it's case, like, imagine case, we had that case, conversation. Like, about the time travel. And then, yeah, 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 and yeah, then yeah. you see it six months later and you're mm. going, 
God, that is shameless. Yeah, we were, yeah, we were, yeah, yeah. We were literally talking about stealing ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's done that. But that was something no, that came no, from them. But, yeah. that, but there's an exact example yeah, yeah. of it is, is where there's only a certain, especially if you're doing straight stuff, as in like you're not doing like weird, surreal, you know, stuff that would just be your mind following an idea. Yeah. There's only a certain number of ways you can bend words. It's why I stopped doing one-liners about two years in because I was, I was realizing that like, like one-liners are, you know, the, the, usually a turn of phrase that you're just clashing two ideas to in the setup. Yeah. So it's different. And I just realized loads of people have got similar lines and it's not that they're not funny or I'm not funny it's just how am I going to stand out in this you've got Milton Jones you've got Gary Delaney you've got you yeah. know whoever it is it's it's it I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make it in this area yeah. and also I, after doing 20 minutes of them for about six months you know like around the circuit I was like fucking boring doing standing there saying the yeah. same 20 lines over and over again um so w yeah wouldn't wouldn't oh that's <clears> made me think is wouldn't like somewhere like Twitter Twitter be oh I do them on uh, Twitter but wouldn't it be a much better place if people stopped and went do I need to add to this yeah 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 <laughs> like because that's one thing that stops me so this is kind of separate but that stops me from getting involved in arguments and everything online because you're just like do I really does my voice really need to yeah. be heard on this and most it's amazing how many people just want to be heard but that's a completely separate thing so no no it's actually not because before we started if you remember before we started we were talking about messages in edinburgh shows and, oh yes, and, yes. A, and a big part of th this show when i was developing it was i thought it had a message about relationship with social media and blah 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 blah. right and and john godillo the guy who directed it with me i mean he was immediately because uh, i said to him i just don't feel like my my voice is valid in this space i feel like there's so many more that valuable things to talk about especially in the current climate and blah 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 and he was just like F forget all that you're in your head it's funny Right. Like it doesn't. It doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. It doesn't have a message. You don't have to. You don't have to end your show with like a sort of laboured, you know, change the blue to blue lighting, and you know, this is what I've discovered this year. No one cares. It's funny. Yeah. And, yeah. and it sort of really took the pressure off. Where I was a bit like, well, if it's funny, it's funny, and that's what I'm in the. That's where I'm in the listing. Yeah. Um. And and it's it's sort of like sometimes I do think every every show is valid if you want to do whatever you, you know on whatever level you think it is. But like I was saying, well, like I was saying to you before, I do just want to go and see something funny sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I really don't want to just hear your truth the whole fucking time. As Russell Howard said the other night where we were, yes, you yeah, know, yeah. your truth's not funny. You've had some fucking lies in, mate. Yeah. Um, I think the pendulum's swinging back that way. And that's I hope so. it's like we've made we've made a. Uh, I'm not saying that like your your story isn't valid if you're doing. You yeah. Know, like we're talking about Richard Gadd doing another show about. Um, I think he said he was uh, stalked or something. That was that's his new show. Right. But I think it's important to know that it can just be funny. Yeah, I yeah. think it's that thing where there's. Whenever you're making progress, sometimes things go to the extreme mm. to make the progress that you need to, and then it pulls itself back back in. I mean, that's just classic, like, left-wing, right-wing, pol polit yeah. political, that's what happens as well. Yeah, yeah I think it's starting to swing a little bit back, where there's a, a wee bit of backlash against the uh, the jokeless, sort of, like, you know, strongly-themed, mm. deeply personal shows that are, are, are maybe not delivering big on laughs, and it'll come back it's made the progress that it needs to and it will come mm. back a little bit to getting back to laughter which is obviously the the biggest yeah. currency and what you and what and what you and others do yeah because when you're looking for, so so you produced uh, the most recent one you produced was the the or oh, the thing for um comedy central the stand-up i think it was well just the Google. russell howard hour on sky is my most recent oh sorry but actually in terms of stand-up stand uh, the stand-up central show, yeah, stand -up yeah, central russell, show. Yeah. so so you when you were looking for people for that I presume it was just they're funny. It wasn't they had a message in their 20 minutes. It wasn't, you know, uh, there wasn't, was it, like you said, the channel had something to do with it. How, how did quotas affect that show? What, what's the realistic thing behind the scenes on that? Well, with that, um, the so there was two slots. There was the sort of eight to ten minutes headliner mm. and there's the five minute open, not open spot, but yeah, you know yeah. what I mean, it's the, the newcomer spot. So I, I did really, with the eight to ten minute, 
it's a, uh, I worked on series one and two, and the channel want names, so profile is the most important thing with that. That's less interesting to me, to be honest, because mm. it's like, I mean, one of the things from doing the stand-up slot on Good News, it was breaking new talent was the most exciting mm. thing, but the climate was very different then. That was yeah. the only show that was doing that at the time, whereas when Stand-Up Central was happening, there was a lot of other shows on that were, stand-ups were getting on TV much quicker, much quicker. So the five-minute spots are really where uh, you could be, you know, you could be interesting. And with that, it's just, it is, there's what, so there was 10 slots, maybe we recorded 12 for 10. For 10. We held open, 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 we did, I think, three edition nights, mm-hmm. where we, with like, and it's not ideal, but, it's a, but at the very least, everyone's been put on the same pedestal. That I think there was like maybe 12 to 15 acts doing five minutes at each of them. I'd be there, the um, exe- Avalon execs would be there, Comedy Central people would be there. It's all in front, you know, pretty much, I mean, it's three nights, but it's in front of the same audience. Mm. so everyone's given the same chance we all then drew up our lists and then almost in a kind of like well let's see who's on yours let's see mm. on ours and then came to the best sort of diverse list of comments i mean diverse in terms of voice not yep. just and so so yeah so yes when you look you, you have to you do have to i mean i looked at it as a as a group of 10 to 12 comics that ideally are all doing something slightly different mm. there was a series of good news way back when i booked like basically four white middle class males all in a row mm. and this was before the the quotas thing was a big deal but by the third week i realized i'd made a massive mistake in mm. doing that because it was just getting samey every week so there's just mm. on a completely comedic merit yeah it was boring even though they were all very good acts yeah so yeah but stand-up central so it was it was just a, it's a collaboration really where and the channel have some people they like that they put forward for the additions. Mm. There's agents that want their acts to be seen at those nights, and you kind of uh, pick for pick from there. And then I've got people that I've seen in Edinburgh mm. or seen on the circuit that I want to try. I had a couple of people on my team as well that would suggest people. So mm. the addition nights were a great opportunity. I mean, we we gave you know, I mean, there was probably about 40, 50 acts mm. were seen. So that's a kind of good pool. Yeah, yeah. you can't see everyone, but of that, I thought that was a kind of fairly g- uh, good pool to choose from mm. and in the end there's always a bit of compromise here and there yeah. where there's some there's reasons why a channel want someone on there maybe because they're going to be in another show on the yeah, channel yeah, yeah. and in the end they're paying for it so they've yeah. got they do have final say and all you can do from my end as a producer i care more more about quality yeah and i will sort of kicking and screaming until the final line i'll try and get the people that i want on there mm. um but yeah it is a collaboration it's not as it's, mm. it's not as i think some people think there's just that going on right well we'll have eight avalon acts and that's that and yeah. you know if avalon didn't have a lot of good young acts at that point there wouldn't have been a lot of avalon acts in those five yeah and uh, those five minute spots you know i always find that really because because i think there's also that i mean there's three questions out of that i mean uh, first one would obviously be does tv still break a, like break a comedian because TV yeah. viewers are down. Uh, people don't necessarily who watch that go out to comedy. You know, like w- in terms of break, does it still break comedians? So I suppose I'll start there. And two, um, a lot of there's, I, I think it's, I think it's a general thing in the industry. I think I've, I've always said that I just want to be well known enough that my opinion is respected and not treated as just because I'm jaded. Do right. you know what I mean? Because I think people dismiss people's opinions at a certain level and go, oh, it's just because you're jaded, you didn't get it. And it's a bit like, no, I actually have an opinion. Please respect my opinion you know yeah and and i think they do it a lot with acts where they go oh that person got picked up too soon or that person got put on tv you know before they were ready and you and and sometimes you have to validate and go well actually if it's their first time on tv they might just be nervous because they're on tv for the first time yeah or or it might just be they're going to get better at it like they you know they're better than their first gig yeah than now so so i'm wondering whether you look out for those sort of feedbacks whether you know when when someone goes on for the first time if you, if people are on twitter for example tweeting insert comedian's name wasn't very good tonight you know look 
nervous or, or something like that, whether you take that on board or whether you ignore things like that because it's ultimately damaging to your process. So I don't know where you want yeah, to start also, with those so two. the first one in terms of does it break, it's definitely harder now because it, mm. because there was, um, so as I say, like when I did the good news stand-up slot, that was a, that became, you know, by accident almost like a real reference point for people is like that's where you go see the new breakout acts because they weren't getting that opportunity opportunity elsewhere so i know from i know anecdotally from those acts and through youtube hits and whatnot that it was really beneficial for a lot of and part of that was that they didn't have they couldn't get that footage of them doing stand-up else yeah. elsewhere obviously now people can film and put their, 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 their i mean the um is it hot water comedy club oh they is do it a lot yeah god yeah. it's an incredible yeah i mean what an incredible uh, success that is so it's much easier it's much easier now to to be seen online tv does i mean i think to be honest it's probably panel shows that make the biggest difference in it for mm. for a comic so it's definitely not as prestigious as it was i don't think there's that sense of oh this person must be great especially if they're on a show so like with stand-up central there's only two acts a show and russell because he had a reputation for introducing acts i think there's prestige to him mm-hmm. to being on his show you're only one of two acts on the show there's a sense of oh this person must be really good if you're on a, like a bill of five or six mm. i don't think it's gonna have much impact really mm. other than being a good credit to list for your edinburgh show or to other promoters to get booked live definitely happens less but then with stand-up central you know like yuriko katani did a set mm-hmm. And that went viral. It was like the yeah, top yeah. of Reddit at one point, and that did wonders for her. So it can still happen. Mm. But that again, and that speaks to I mean the two big sort of viral hits, uh, not three actually, but May Martin and Daniel Simonson from Good mm. News and Yuriko Katani, three very different yeah, distinct yeah. voices. So that speaks to the value of having someone that's saying saying something or is from somewhere mm. that's unique, that stands out, that stands out. And so I think if you're unique and you stand out, you've still got a great chance of breaking yeah. through if you appear on one of those shows. And then the other question was how impacted I am by feedback? Yeah, I suppose it's, it's a combination of social media and I think we've all we've all probably at some point, in fact, we were talking about beforehand, but we weren't dismissing people, but we're saying that sometimes people will say, oh, they only got that because they're a woman or they only got that because they're a, an act from a foreign country or they, you know, they'll dismiss them being able to get something as a result of some something arbitrary about them, right. and I'm wondering whether you look out for that feedback in terms of so that you know just just who's saying what and, and the general zeitgeist of how people are perceiving a certain segment of acts, yeah. and also whether you listen to social media feedback for you know like maybe if you search for a certain comedian's name who you put on to see how people responded to them because it could just be they're very funny in clubs but they're just not good on TV and vice versa. So yeah. I'm just wondering whether you know you take feedback on board or whether you just go with your gut. I definitely well I guess it's two things because I mean I can't retrospectively not book them no 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 so, you could so, not if you book them in the so, future so, is what I mean so it's like uh, a, right. yeah. um, I, th- I mean the problem is is that with social media by the time so if I've booked someone to do the show uh, and I say that you know as a collaborative obviously with mm. channel and what it'll be because I believe I believe that they're really good and I believe they're ready to do it one thing that act a lot of acts don't understand is I'll go see someone and I'll think they're really good but I just don't think they're I just uh, sorry I just don't think they're ready for TV yet and but they will never understand that because yep. for them they're at the most advanced stage they've ever been at because yep. they've not it's not the future and I know that comedians are always evolving and getting better right so mm. they, if they believe that they're good enough then mm. you can't persuade them otherwise but I've always tried to in a very genuine way be quite sensitive to mm. that for their benefit 
so really I'd like to think that for the most part I could back myself in saying that when someone's been booed I, f I feel like they're ready and that they're good enough you never know what's going to happen on the night and it's my job to protect them in the edit in whatever way you can and sometimes that's it that's uh, you, tr you, tr you tr if you're savvy with the edit with you know adding in laughs and whatnot maybe whether where it wasn't on the night you know but if, if I know that I, I try and know the set inside out so I know where the laughs are if they haven't happened on the night you boost it in the edit and make the and as long as the person's performed it to a decent to great standard it will it should look great and be a, a, a representation of what they do in terms of the social media feedback people want to hate stuff more like people don't like new stuff i think there used to be a prestige where if you were watching tv you'd think that these people are superstars now there's an immediate sense of why are you on my tv and you yeah. have to prove otherwise so i definitely look and it's definitely interesting and it's valid i mean if if the demographic of the show hasn't enjoyed someone then brutally you haven't done your job re, re, you know but i wouldn't like pay it you know it's like if i read a review on TripAdvisor, i'd love to see the person's face yeah, yeah. to know whether it's, it's valid or not there's mm. people on social media that just want to hate on things and comedy is subjective mm. so unless it's an over if, unless it's overwhelmingly negative it's probably not going to have much impact on me in terms of whether i think that person's good or not and also like uh, and it's something i fight for on the shows particularly with stand-up central because of some issues with getting clips online is the truth isn't the 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 success in seeing how many views it gets online that's a but that's a great um barometer and even if they've got a million views and there's loads of vitriol below you're like well a million people were interested in watching that clip so this you've done your job and that person the and the comics on their mm. job they're clearly of note and of worth mm. and worth consideration but so it, it's it's a in terms of someone being considered for something then down the line it's based on whether they're right for that next thing and so I'd like to think it doesn't have much impact, mm. uh, you know. Well, they've got a question about that then, but before we move on from that, you mentioned adding laughs in and, and sort of boosting the laughs in the edit. Yeah. Th there's mixed reviews on whether canned laughter is a good idea or a bad idea. Is it, I mean, where's, where's your opinion on that, if I just leave it as an open question like that? For stand-up, I think if you know, again, if you know where the laughs should be or normally are and the comedian's left space for them, then you absolutely should do it to do service to the set that they do. To not do it based on how an audience reacted one night for whatever reason, and sometimes that's not within the comics control. I mean, it might have been that there was a technical issue mm. where that just killed the live audience for 20 minutes and then someone has to come out and the audience just don't respond the way they do. I think it'd be unfair to not help the comic and that's it. So I see it as helpful. You're not pulling out canned laughter from a 1970s sitcom. No, no. You're taking it from the live track of the audience that night so it's hopefully sounds natural and isn't noticeable the only person it might be noticeable to is the comic really mm. so I, I i don't see the problem with it if, if the comics left the space for it i mean you have to be careful with it obviously yeah. and not use it where it's not needed and not overdo it but i think yeah i think overall it's good people are weird about ed tv edits do you remember the like comic relief did a 24-hour panel show yeah and it was like they did all, like a hybrid of eight or ten cats and have I got news for you? Oh, I'm probably mm. not. Have I got news for you? Maybe like, would I lie to you or whatever? Yeah. And it was so boring because <laughs> it hadn't been edited, and yeah. people are somehow thinking editing is dirty. Yeah, yeah. And actually, it's it's no. It's like it's it's for your benefit mm. because you cut out all the faff. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's a good it's a good thing, but it's weirdly considered dirty in some ways. I I have the same thing with podcasts where where sometimes people will go, oh, I'd love to hear the unedited version, and I'm like, you really yeah, wouldn't. Absolutely. I, I'm not. you know like I I did a I did a I, I, sometimes you know you lose track of time when you're chatting to someone or whatever. And I did I did a three hour record with a with a person the other like 
a couple of weeks ago and I got it down to about an hour and a half and it was because we went off on tangents and like they repeated themselves and I repeated myself all that sort of stuff yeah. and I remember just saying oh it's lovely to spend like three hours with someone that you know so educated and all that sort of stuff and I got a few emails from people just going oh you should have released the three hour one I'm like no, honestly yeah, we just yeah. repeated ourselves you don't want it like how how much are you avoiding your own inner thoughts that yeah. you need three hours of us just saying the same shit over and over again yeah although interesting with stand up it's different because you do feel again I try and know the person set inside out mm. so if and I try and foresee edits that I'll have to make and I try and talk to them about it and make sure that they're comfortable with those edits because that's their material, it's not mine to mess with. Yeah. And it's like editing a song. You know, it's yeah. like and especially I remember on Stand Up Central editing James Acaster's set and it was just too long. But I felt like I was editing a Beatles song. You know, you're like he's so precise mm. and everything's so perfectly worded that it just feels like sacrilege to cut mm. it, but you have to for time, that's just brutal. But I really fight hard on that if execs are trying to make changes to sets that I know are, are going to ruin the flow of them so I try and protect that as much as possible but inevitably I think that is a more controversial area is editing stand-up sets yep. it's like who are you to th- there's so many reasons that that certain words are in there or the pacing is mm. done in a certain way and you have to be so respectful to that like on good news they recorded 20 minutes that would ed- get edited to 14 and I would paper edit after the straight after the show mm. so what I'd do is I'd invite the act to come and sit and watch it back with me mm-hmm. and I'd and we discuss it together so it's a collaboration so that when they watch it go out there's no nasty surprises and if anything significantly changes from that paper edit when we actually do the proper edit I'd communicate that with them beforehand and explain why Mm. and it's just so important because it's not as a it's how they're going to be represented to a much wider audience than maybe they would even do ever in any clubs. Yeah. yeah. And give them the choice. If you're going, yeah. I, need, I could either lose this from that bit or this from that, mm. that should be their decision. Yeah, like totally. it's, not, it's not mine to make, it's their yeah. material. So I think yeah. uh, with editing, laughs, I think that's, is it, uh, that's protected. That's protected. Yeah. But with the set, you've got to be so careful that you're respecting the acts set and, and making sure that they're completely aware of what you're doing because I can't I imagine it's just there's nothing worse than yeah. seeing so, like someone just absolutely butcher like the, I don't know if you saw the Britain's Got Talent um, set with a co- is it co- Kojo oh yeah 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 yeah. but what have they done to that set <laughs> like it's oh, crazy they, okay. and I and it's because they've cut it down like it's a, like it's the highlights of a mm. song yeah because that's the way they edit things yeah. but it is absolutely brutal it's like just stripped all the nuance out of the bits and mm. it, they don't look like comedy routines that was brutal yeah so you've got to yeah. be respectful in that sense completely completely and, uh, and i think i think another sort of offshoot to that conversation is something that you sort of touched upon where comedians statistic like overall statistically they get better as the, uh, with time like i think that's a general yeah. rule i mean some people never do some people take a bit longer to get better and i think there's a little bit of negativity with uh younger people getting put on over older people who are maybe better because they've been around for longer yeah because potentially tv channels think well youth attracts youth and blah 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 where do you stand on that is there any truth in that matter i think it's definitely true um it's an ugly truth what's what i'd say is like is it is it advice for comics is um in, in a fair in a fair completely equal system you would be your career and your progress would be tracked on a yearly basis by everyone and they're aware of how good you've become or where you're at now and what nice. the truth is be careful the first time people see you and that mm. goes for both appear on TV and live I've some, I'm sometimes invited to shows especially in Edinburgh and the comic's just not ready to be seen and as much as I want to then give them a chance down the line. If it's if it's been not to my taste, and I don't think they're ready, and I'm invited again next year, it's very hard to shake that mm. uh, prejudice. 
on a very, on a purely human level. There's so many comics I've seen that I've been maybe fairly dismissive, uh, dismissive of that I've then seen a few years later, and they're completely different and amazing. Mm. And I've been com- and I've been so wrong mm. on whether they were going to get good or not. Normally, sometimes you see someone, yeah. and they're really interesting, and I, I can take a comic at the level they're at and accept that they're not perfect, <laughs> and be and for the most part, I'd like to think that I'd then, you know. Mon- I would be that producer that monitors how they get, but you mm. can't do it with everyone. And so I think that, yeah, there's an email I got from a guy who has never done stand-up before, and he's doing one show in Edinburgh for 40 minutes, and he's written all his jokes. I don't want to say the name or anything. I mean, I, I was actually when I got the email, my instinct was to tweet it, and I was like, no, nah, I can't I have to. Be yeah, this. Yeah. it'd be so unfair to do it. But he's emailed tons of producers and people at channels because he included us all in the email about oh, wow. BCC and, <laughs> and uh, always BCC because it feels more personal. Yeah. And um, he said he basically went, "I'm absolutely amazing." And you and he actually compared. He said, "Think of the record label that missed out on the Beatles. You don't want to be that." And he linked to a set on YouTube that was a robot reading his jokes. And he said, "Come and see me on this date." And you're just like. You're not. You've never done a stand-up gig. Yeah. So it's like the, your intent should be get on the circuit and yeah. become good, and then invite people to see you. But he's invited some really. I'm not including myself in this, but he's invited. I can see from the emails he's invited some really top people. Mm. But now, if like if we any if any of us see yeah, his name, yeah, yeah. we're not going to give him the. You know, no, you know no. for the most part, there's going to be a prejudice there. Yeah. So you have to be very careful when you're when you're when you're seen, and that goes for appearing on TV as well. Sometimes someone will appear on t- on telly and they're not the finished article mm. yet, and to viewers and to commissioners three years down the line well they've been on they were on telly three years they're an old they're an old name now when actually three years later is when they've become the comedian that they really truly are you know they fulfilled their uh, their potential so that's for uh, that's frustrating because i've had that with those comics that i love that i want to put on things and you mention them to the channels and they're like nah doesn't it doesn't really interest us who's this new person it's just a yeah it's just because they've got no preconception of them and yeah yeah but they've never seen them but sometimes if you've been around for ages and just on the circuit and you suddenly emerge and have a breakout show Mm. they'll swarm around you and you're still it's not so it's not related to age necessarily Mm. or even how long you've been going it's just about when you were seen i guess yeah, no, I. I and that's I hard. It's, it's not fair. It's not fair, but it's, it's just the way it is, unfortunately. Because, because so, in the end, it's like again, from my point of view, I can say it's not fair, but I still have to convince yeah. the person paying for the show exactly. that this person should be on it. You know, I think I think it's a combination of entitlement and I, I suppose because I mean, for me personally, TV TV is of interest but I think I think one of the big reasons why it's of interest is because it's easy for my mum to tell her friends what I'm doing <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean like if she says oh he's going to appear on channel 4 tonight yeah. that's very easy if I say oh I'm doing this club in Deptford or whatever it's much harder for her to explain why I'm excited about that she's just got no um, sense of the cr- of oh, yeah, what's no. successful oh whenever I whenever she says how's it going I'm like do we have to have this conversation again because if I tell you how it's going and it's going well yeah. you're not going to understand why it's going well and if I tell you it's going badly you're just going to look at me as if to go where's your plan B and I don't really want to have either yeah, yeah. So it's sort of um, sort of interesting, in it, in terms of that. So in terms of TV, I think it it has replicated the circuit a lot in the sense that a lot of people being shown a left wing and sort of very liberal leaning. Yeah. And I know there's been a few things, like for example the Jeff Norcott thing that came out a few uh, days ago, which is the um, sort of s- s- more right wing than most things that have come out there. Why is it so much that TV is being s- or trying to be seen as, or, or, or maybe even not trying, but just is producing more left leaning and liberal? TV versus right wing comedian. I think that's reflective of the circuit, isn't it? Like, there's not there's it? not many right wing. I mean, I do think that the arts in general do set do 
lend themselves to left-leaning people mm. I, th- I think generally so I think that's just a I think TV's just reflecting that I don't think there's any mm. agenda to keep right-wing comics off TV I mean for, for me personally I'd like that but ba- I like that balance I think that, like, you know what's so frustrating is when Andrew Lawrence mm. did that first post I actually thought thought he made some really good points in it and it is true that the easy comedic route mm. to get applause from audiences is to slag off yeah, yeah, whoever yeah. the villain is yeah. when actually it is way braver and more interesting to explore explore the nuance of that i actually thought he made some really interesting points but then then he went left but then there was a, <laughs> but then there was other there's others in there that was that was yeah. that were senseless and then he doubled down and sort of i think enjoyed the outrage that came from it mm. and and maybe that's just a natural defensive reaction because he did make some good points that were ignored, that people you know ignored because of some of the other yeah. less savory points he made and then he just went on this complete route where i, d- I don't i mean i've not seen a full hour of his but i get this impression that he's just went a more unsavory route when actually the starting point was but i guess that's, you know it's maybe the feedback the feedback he got wasn't nice there should mm. definitely be space for people with different views yeah. phil wine does a, does a great bit in a show this year about how art is support i don't want to butcher this and <laughs> but essentially it's like art is supposed to reflect humanity and humanity uh, is not always good so Mm. in comedy this idea that we put comedians on a pedestal to be good people and to stand for all the right things is nonsense and it's such a good point and you do wish that you know you know maybe the 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 space at the moment doesn't allow for that nuance there is a fear i mean we've got on russell's show it's interesting because russell is definitely left-leaning russell howard yeah sorry Sorry. (laughs) he's definitely left-leaning but he's got some more interesting views as well Mm. that are a bit more nuanced and and across the spectrum and it's hard to take those chances on tv because you you can you can easily alienate or easily become a clickbait yeah yeah um, yeah yeah. a source of clickbait where that's misrepresented and suddenly it's like he's known for being you know all the, the 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 things that he says that chime uh, yeah, chime with people more are ignored, and they go for this maybe more nuanced point. Nuanced mm. point. So I think to to do to be right way on telly is is quite brave, mm. as long as you're doing it in the right way. Though, like Jeff does mm. it in the right way. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't I don't know. I, love his g- I don't know if anyone could consider him extreme or far right no. or anything. He's not. It's like in society we have a, a sliding scale of conservatism and liberalism, and TV and 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 comedy should hopefully reflect that. Mm. But I do think the arts generally yeah. leans itself the other way yeah totally my, my frustration at the moment is the climate of uh, like you said clickbait i think i think journalism is having a negative impact on comedy at the moment just because yeah. they want ad sales and the easiest way of doing that is by almost paraphrasing comedians or taking jokes out of context just to get your traffic to the site yeah and and i think i think that's causing a lot of comedians a headache because if they want to say something horrific as a joke you know there's that's going to be your top hit until you do something else that pushes it down yeah and and it might not even they, they might never cover the nice thing you did and it's and it's a weird it's a weird one because i think journalism was something that was useful for a while that was helping comedians come up and was sort of like you know trying to support you know it was that sort of synergy of supporting each other out yeah and now it's kind of becoming eating its own tail because it's sort of i don't know and, and i think and i think tv's additionally sort of having a, i mean it's having a positive impact as well but it's also having a negative impact in that you know clips of things are getting taken like people are pirating them and putting yeah. them online and they might have genuinely good intent where they're like oh i love this joke but when you take it out of context of the whole set 
that joke you know like I had to submit some jokes for the Guardian the other day for the, right. for the top 10 thing and I remember emailing it off and I said to a friend I've sent I've sent in this joke that just goes um, I've just read this book I'm trying to learn about more about equality and I've read a book called Invisible Women by someone right and it's just a silly little yeah, yeah. yeah and, and my friend was like you know out of context how that looks I've seen your show but out of context that one line yeah. can make you look like you're being dismissive of and I was like no it's obvious because it's called Invis- the book's called Invisible Women yeah. so it's whatever and he was like I don't know if the Guardian readers are gonna you know. is that bad fit is that in, faith thing isn't it it's yeah. it's just, everything's taken in the worst possible, possible faith and there are some rotten eggs out there yeah of course you know? yeah it's really it's, it's and that's why edinburgh is really interesting I, I feel like this year from what I'm, i've only been here a few days but i when i was saying earlier about the pendulum is swinging a little bit i think there is i think comics are looking more inwardly at, uh, mm. at themselves on the left and i mean i t- i mean i consider myself left-leaning but I'm probably more critical of the left than I'm the right. Yeah, same, yeah. And the same way that I'm more critical of my football team's tactics than exactly. I am a football team that I don't follow. Why yeah. would I care about Oldham? Yeah, yeah. I care about Falkirk FC, the Bears. <laughs> um, and so, and it's so it's so frustrating. What was I going to, yeah, but it's like with, t- with TV, so TV is, TV doesn't have the, nu- like TV comedy doesn't have the nuance of live of live comedy in the scene. TV, by, is it by, by its nature in terms of its wide reach, is going to be broader always i get so frustrated by this nothing not really to do with comedy but he is a target in comedy piers morgan on good morning britain is a character act that's always that's not piers, Mer- piers morgan the person it's a character act and it frustrates me so much that he gets taken at his word and people react and create outrage over things he says when you're like that's exactly he's doing it for hits mm. and for clickbait it's like he's human clickbait and it it maddens me that people don't see that mm. that they but i think that's because, because he's th- always been a person up to this point do you know what i mean like yeah. he's, he's always been seen as who he is so i suppose it's a bit like um who's the who's the con- sorry to interrupt you, but the, you know you know the conspiracy theorist um alex uh, not alex jones the, there was the one oh, he said he used to say things that were like correct you know oh, this business runs this this business does that about the you know but then he'd say oh but they're all lizards you know like as oh, soon as david Icke. david Icke, yeah, yeah 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 so like it, it started with like oh you're a person you're having good ideas yeah and then and then and then i mean i don't know if he's a character as such but i feel like at times he he, he might be playing up to it I, d- I don't know. Maybe that's, that's just yeah. That's a problem. They, they sort of uh, and again, it's like you lose nuance. I, d- I don't want to talk about Andrew Andrew Lawrence too much because I'm not again. I've not seen his shows in the last yeah. few years. But it's that thing where you you start off by by on a very human level, maybe making a nuanced point. But the way the world reacts to it pushes you into that box, and you almost become yeah, yeah. become what they say you are, sort of thing. But with with peers, it's um. So I don't know. It's mad that we're talking about Piers Morgan when it's like <laughs> we're up at the end of a festival, but. It, it's like he in that show in that show he's do he's even said it in interviews himself he's like i'm just trying to draw people to the show mm. as a person i'm way more flexible in my views and way more yeah. but I think he's I, not he's not katie what's her name katie, katie hopkins yeah well, i not, think she really believes most of the things she says i've met her and she's very much more reasonable than you'd imagine when you meet yeah. her however she does believe most of the things you tell like or at least she was doing it when she was talking to me off camera because yeah. i bumped into her at the caves when she was trying to put together a tv show a few years ago um, and, and I spoke to about half an hour or so and and she was just very much like well you know abortion is a thing and good fat kids and all, and all this sort of things and, and yeah. it was like the cameras aren't even rolling i don't know if you're trying to get into character or what but you don't seem to not have the same views i wonder if it's a defense mechanism where people hate you for those views so much that it's almost like again like the person that they're portraying you as you almost have to become that in order to deal with it yeah i suppose rather than double down 
Yeah, I know because that's the only way you can be you can sanely deal with that. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm I'm not being an apologist for her no, at no, all. No, no. But with Piers, what's interesting with Piers is that in America, the thing that brought him down in America was um, the, how much he'd campaign for the gun laws to change, which mm. is a, a which we'd associate with left wing. Mm. I think he's just a lot more centrist than he's probably centrist just to the right. Yeah. But he's depicted. But the Good Morning Britain peers is like far right, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. like like brought more more in that territory. And I say far right, it's like what are the things that he's yeah. really going on about? Greg's, you know, sausage rolls. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's not really extremist stuff, but yeah. Um, sorry, that's probably a bit off topic for no, where we're going. No, no, it's it's not. But it also it also brings up a good point about sort of because it, it's interesting what you're watching out for and trying to stay in in terms of the zeitgeist of of other comedy and characters and, and that sort of stuff so so I suppose it brings me on to what's your relationship like with the live circuit what's your relationship like with Edinburgh yeah what are you scouting for if you if and when you are looking I mean I suppose it comes down to the t- individual show because if I were to ask do you book character acts do you book sketch groups yeah. do you book improv that sort of thing it would probably come down to the individual show but I suppose do you even not go and see those because you're like well I only book stand up because I do those so, so um, not, not necessarily I mean it changes every year mm. in terms of my intent of why I'm up in Edinburgh but where to begin because I guess, I guess, I guess, should I talk through how I approach Edinburgh, yeah. maybe how I've approached it this year for my intent yeah, this year? Be um, because in previous years, so if I'm coming up for Russell's Hour's Good News, I am mm. going to stand up solely. But I also, with Good News, there was a ex- we had a, we'd have an external writing team of spotters, so they'd watch like the news and they'd write gags and what. So I'm looking at writing as well, and we've had like you know like Kerry Pritchard McLean has become a writer on the Russell Howard Hour, and that stemmed from you know I was aware of I mean Russ, Russell and I both aware of her as a stand up, but. I was aware of how good a writer she was and got her to submit and uh, there was an opportunity at that point to be- to be- become a member of the writer's room and so I'm not you know, I wasn't necessarily looking at her as a stand up in that case it was as a writer so there's different opportunities to pit and you never and also you never know the Edinburgh Festival was really useful just for 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 getting a broad for being able to have a broad view of the comedy circuit generally and whilst I'll come up with an objective there might be people I see that they don't fit that objective but in six months they do the one thing so the way I approach it is I do like so this this time I'm up in a development capacity so that can be anything that can be format so and like last year so I was mentioning uh, Werewolf Live which was a format I saw last year and at the time it was just done for uh, and it just involved the audience and then they did a version with comedians that I thought was really good and then I started having meetings with them and talking about it and now I'm at the moment we're working on developing it live with a view of taking it to TV mm. but that's not going to see a stand-up show that was just like that stood out to me as a format and I was interested in seeing it so with development you're it can be anything but I'm also I'm aware of you know I should, well, I should be aware of what channels are looking for and so you're looking to find things that will fit into that brief of what they're are they doing so with Edinburgh I in a very in very layman's term, I I sit down with the brochure. I've got uh, I work out so I've got a timetable of what my schedule will be. I've got a document where I put all the like the so early afternoon, late afternoon. You know, I just be like five mm. to seven p.m. seven, to, and I go through the brochure and anything that takes my interest, I put in that document, and then I go through that document and I start trying to put them into a uh, schedule. So for so in a basic term, in a very pure term, I do go through the entire brochure and try and pick out what I think is interesting. So, so can I ask, people that email you their show and their press releases, does that come into it or do you just ignore those and just do the brochure? It, it does. I mean, agents email and they invite you to all the shows. I, yeah. I respond much more to, uh, much better to specific uh, recommendations. So if an agent emails me with their 12 acts, <laughs> but they go, this one particular person I'm really excited about. I know comedians might not want to hear mm. this, that their agents do mm. this, but they'll know what I'm what I'm into. They'll know the show I'm doing. Yeah. If, they, if they say, I really think you should see this person, mm. I'm way more that's been personalised to me 
mm. as a as a recommendation so i'm more likely to try and factor that in but i do tend to go from my own instinct of going through the brochure and the things that that pique my interest and then it's also dependent on what i'm going to be working on or, or the type of thing that i'm you know that my, my, my the, excuse me the brief i've sort of given myself so i go through and i just try and fit in as many in and then i try and leave gaps to to allow for shows that break through at the festival to try and see them as well the one thing i i and i I'm not saying that like people, other people in telly don't do this, mm. but I don't come up for pleasure at all. This the show. There's people I'd love to see a Daniel Kitson stand-up show in Edinburgh, but he doesn't do TV, so I can't justify going to see him for an hour. So, so I, yeah. <laughs> so I always make sure that I'm going to see, that, if, especially if I'm requesting a comp ticket, and that is an interesting mm. area in itself. Yeah, I, I, I will, I will. I'm worried about us running out of time, but I was going to ask you about that. Oh shit, yeah. Um, yeah, because um, I've got a show at midday. <laughs> oh fuck. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay. So, so I, so I, um. So I will make sure that I'm that if I'm taking a ticket for a show, I'm seeing it for a reason, and it's professional, and it's not, and it's um, it's not personal pleasure. Mm. So that's a, that's a big thing for me. I try and see a wide range. I, I do try and see a wide range of of stuff, and not just see the big hitters. I'm aware that there's loads of people that feel ignored in, in Edinburgh, and they'll probably dispute that. The other thing I'm so aware of, and I just want I just want to be clear on, is that I'm aware that the Edinburgh Festival isn't all about. TV people coming up to see the shows for some no, acts. For some acts, they really want that, but I'm very aware that for some acts, it's about comedy, mm-hmm. and that my, and my involvement in the Edinburgh Festival is not something that's particularly liked or mm. desired. And so, if there's anything in this in this interview where it's like I'm trying to be like give advice to comedians about how they approach Edinburgh, it's like it's purely on the basis of if you're interested in why I'm up there and are interested in getting the attention of someone that's a TV producer or whatever. But I'm aware that that's not for everyone. I just no. want to be really... Because that's the thing I was really self-conscious of, mm. was like, I know the Edinburgh Festival is not just from me and my yeah. and my like. <laughs> no, I know. It, it's, it's a weird one because I think maybe five years ago, mo- a, lot, a lot of people came up to either get an agent or get on TV. Those were their like goal aims. And I think it's very much shifted because, because of these misconceptions, because people are going, well, they're just not interested in me, or I'm not young enough, yeah. or I'm not white enough, or I'm not black, or whatever the, whatever the excuse is in their head. Whereas, like you said, Repeatedly, like so not repeatedly, but you've, you've reiterated a different point. You know, it might just be you're not right now. Yeah, you're yeah, just, Or you're not good enough right now. Yeah. And that's not, it's hard to take, you know, like to be told you're not good enough right now. But frankly, there's a lot of money on the line and, you know, you've got to produce a product for the person that's paying for it. Yeah. And there might also just be six other shows in that time slot yeah. that I have to prioritise over your show and I'm only up for a certain amount of time and it's so I know that's so frustrating but to the comic it's like that one hour of the day is so important that shows so the most important mm. thing in your month and the idea that someone can't spare an hour to see it sounds crazy to them but it's like yeah but I've got a list of 100 shows mm. and I'm trying to squeeze them all in and it is it's hard I mean ideally you'd see everything but as we were discussing like I do see like 6, 7 a day which is a real challenge I mean it's look you've seen comedy it's great I'm not but that is also it's, it's difficult and there's just only so much to see but 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 I say that with regret obviously it's yeah. not yeah uh, I'm going to ask you the last quick fire questions just because yeah. uh, I want I want to definitely get some of these in for you who was the first person to believe in you to believe in me yeah so Avalon it was a producer Mark Eden and Robin O'Brien who basically kept me on so I did a series of good news and they kept me on uh, to do a show called Show and Tell because they could tell I was really enthusiastic and went to a lot of live comedy. It's so definitely them because they give me mm. and give me the produ- the stand up producing producing slot and good news. Yeah. Mm. What's one unpopular opinion you have about the TV industry? Oh boy, uh, this is so. I think everyone would probably say this to you, but it's not. I don't think it's unpop. It's unpopular 
in the industry been unpopular, but just taking taking chances on new talent. I do believe when I think of how I came to love comedians when I was a teenager watching them, mm. if I switched on the telly and saw someone that I didn't know, I wouldn't just immediately turn it off because I don't know them. I'd be like, it's some there's a it's, it's a natural thing, especially in youth. You love discovering new ta- like you love discovering something. I discovered the, I watched The Office on its first run when no one watched it, and I loved shouting my mouth off about it. And then it became really popular and boring to say you liked The Office, but people really like discovering things for themselves and I think taking an opportunity on new talent and trusting that people will give them a chance uh, is something that this industry is so shy of and I understand why mm. but I think it's it's blindly ignoring how people come to new talent and yeah mm. so uh, who do you think is the most underrated person in the TV industry uh, that's a uh, such a wide open yes, question. <laughs> uh, it can either be behind the scenes or in front of the camera. It doesn't matter. Is it person or type of person? Either way. Uh, keep it open on purpose. Okay, well, type of, a type of per- definitely editors. Yeah, they perform miracles. <laughs> yeah. What do you think is the biggest problem in the TV industry and how would you go about solving it? I think the new talent thing is, is definitely... But I, I also think working conditions. I think I don't, a lot of people don't realise um, how long hours you, that people in telly work and how they... Uh, it can be a well-paid job, but you don't get paid overtime or anything. I remember <laughs> very... I mean, it's, I'll try and say this quick, but I remember when Russell Howard was doing Stand Up Central, I promised him that I'd go to every warm-up gig that he did, and he ended up booking him five a week for two months. So I spent my life... I'd be in the office during the day, and then I'd go to his gigs at night, some of it out of London and whatnot. I remember halfway through, he went, you must be killing it in overtime. <laughs> and I was like, I don't get paid a penny for doing yeah. any, any of this extra stuff. So I think working conditions are something that, like, the production teams really... Especially with tightening of budget, production teams work so hard for sometimes so little because it's not the same as in other industries where you get overtime and whatnot um, and if you had one bit of advice for a few thousand comedians who maybe want you to come to their show what would it be be real it's more than ever now just be really undeniably funny <laughs> like i think people get so caught up in everything else and in the end they forget about the product especially in Edinburgh you've got an oil like don't worry about whether there's a viewer in it but worry about the people that have paid to come and see you mm. about being really funny for those people in front of you because mm. that's the people that will make you I know that there's like industry makers and all, but in the end we respond we need people to watch mm. our stuff and if audiences react to you that's the best recommendation that an industry person can have is mm. how a, an audience reacts to you okay well thank you very much for coming on oh thank you thank I you. hope that was alright Hello. Right. Uh, the podcast was meant to stop here. You've just heard I did my final questions, but Jason enjoyed the first part so much that he emailed and asked to come back on. And we organised a time during the Edinburgh Festival, which, by the way, you got to give him a lot of props for this because Edinburgh is a very busy time for everyone. And the fact that he made time to record about four hours worth of content for you, and this has now been edited down to whatever it has been edited down to in the end. Go and give him a tweet and say thank you very much because if you've got anything out of this, he deserves a really big pat on the back. If you're enjoying this and you want to help me continue with this show please donate there's a paypal link in the show notes please become a patron there's a link in the show notes share a link tell a friend about the show there's links in the show notes give us a review on itunes ideally five stars or a four star review that reads like a five either way do something right you're about to hear your mid-roll ad and there's enough time while this mid-roll ad is playing to do one or two of those things so you ready you getting ready here's your mid-roll advert Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And we're back. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you to Jason. I can't thank him enough for taking the time out of the busy Edinburgh schedule to spend this amount of time with us and to impart so much knowledge and wisdom, even though he admittedly at the start thought his job's boring and not interesting and he's not going to have anything he's decent to say. He wanted me to make it very clear that all of the views expressed in this next part are his and not attributed to Avalon in any way. I think that goes without saying with all the episodes. Anyone who comes on is representing themselves and not the company that they are working for unless they own the company, in which case then obviously they are representing their own company. But uh, he wanted me to expressly point it out as we get into talking about how ideas are constructed for TV, how often ideas are realistically stolen for TV, whether you have to worry about people seeing things and sort of manipulating your jokes and using them on TV, all this sort of stuff, right? It's a very exciting second half. Let's jump back in. I'm just conscious of not being a spokesperson for Avalon because I do one thing in one part of that company. For, for the most part, I've been a freelancer, so I'm not like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the um, official voice saying this is, I can only talk about my experience of, work, of working there and maybe some of the misconceptions. Completely. And, and I like to think on this podcast, everyone who comes on is... Rep it, unless they own the company, they are repping themselves rather yeah. than rather than Avalon. So l- lovely comedy boy. <laughs> <laughs> 
everyone everyone on this is a massive nerd, so it's quite nice. <laughs> um, so you want to talk a bit more about Edinburgh rather than TV? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. As in, as in, I, I don't know if that's of interest in, in terms of because obviously I come up with a completely different agenda to what performers come up come up with. So yeah. Um, so how how are you like? How do you look for shows? Like how do you narrow down? Because obviously the program's huge. Yeah. So do you come up with the head of? Uh, no, so not with the head off. Do you come up with your hat on of TV is probably going to look for X, Y, and Z. I'll start looking through and finding X, Y, and Z. Or do you go? I wonder what's interesting, and then we could take it to TV and try and pitch it. Do you know what I mean? Like, which, yeah, which I mean, it's, it's usually a bit, it's a bit of everything. So it depends, obviously, on the agenda of that month. So right now, I'm doing development. So I've got a bit of a broader. Um, um, a bit of a broader, uh, what's the word? It's so early, Simon. Remit. What's the word? Remit. Yeah. I've got a bit of a broader remit. Whereas if I was coming up, you know, previous years, if I've come up specifically looking for stand-ups, then I'll only go see stand-up, and then I can't go see any ske- sketch. So I'm, what, what I am quite ruthless about is not seeing things for pleasure. So I've never seen a Daniel Kitson show in Edinburgh, for mm-hmm. example, because I know he doesn't do TV, so there's no justification. So I go through the brochure. So I've got like three. I've got like three. This might be quite boring, admin. I always go through the brochures that's my first protocol and cover I, together was it cover yeah. together or just a comedy uh, or section just a, just a comedy okay. section yeah yeah I don't really see much theatre unless something's been specifically recommended in a relation and, and is related to comedy so and I've I've got like a timetable and I've put all the shows that sort of catch my eye in those timetables so I can see like okay so in that slot there's shows I want to see and that's lot there's eight or whatever so that's so my, my starting point is always my own interest in what I'm seeing it's a combination of especially as time's gone on there'll be acts that I know that I have a either you know a professional relationship with and it's in my interest to go see what they're doing this year and to chat to them about where they're at and, and whatnot so there'll, there'll always be a handful of acts that I know what they do but I'm coming up to see what they are doing this year obviously you always leave space for newer acts and surprises so what I try and do but it's really hard is to leave gaps in my schedule that if something catches fire as a show like I went to see Jack Tucker last night for example because that's kind of been a word of mouth hit and I decided to deliberately left since we now that we're near the end of the festival I've deliberately left space that I could fill 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 that in to go see to go see that because that's obviously I think I think to sort of decide in July that this is everything I'm seeing is silly because you have to yeah. be reactionary to what's what's actually happening and then agents email you know and so I, I tend to be more partial towards specific recommendations from agents if they go I've got these 12 acts going up but this one person I think you'll really like and they're up your street then I'll always try and and that's partly obviously and the, the you know the the main thing is trying to see really good acts that are of interest and you never and the other thing is you never know when they will become of interest so even mm-hmm. if there's not an immediate thing to like oh I've seen, I've seen that person I'm going to put them on this six months down the line you might be asked who are like a sketch group that are doing something really interesting or is there a comedian talking about this or is there someone that's really good at writing gags that and you're like oh there'll be some, there's someone that I saw at the fringe I, I, I don't know if that's a, th- a, a useful thing for acts to know that if someone Get, they know someone's coming along to the show and then they never hear anything that's not necessarily to say that it's not been useful the person's not liked you it's like you've just went in their bank and you'll probably never know how that person has actually then helped you get a get, you know you, they've recommended you to someone else so I, I mean I'm a blabbermouth so I kind of <laughs> I love I love talking about all the shows I go to see and so I try and tell as many people as possible and always get asked for recommendations and that sort of thing mm. so I'd like to think I've got quite a good rigid system of making sure that I don't miss anything but then before we started recording you told me about the show the with um, the the four acts that are 
working class and I, was it eight yeah. acts uh, yeah well there's eight of them but they rotate it around right so it's called best in class I mean, this is not helpful oh, actually no it is helpful because they're doing it around the country now not just in Edinburgh oh, okay. so it will actually you know they did a London one which was actually to, to sort of crowdfund for the Edinburgh show yeah. so like all the money went back into the Edinburgh show it's called best in class it's got eight working class acts and uh, so like they, they sort of have like four a week but yeah. they like move it around so it's not like as rigid as you've got a week I, thi- I think yeah. I'm, not, I'm not on it so I don't know and I have no affiliation except for two of my friends are doing it okay, and so th- they shared it on Facebook and then I messaged them about it and they said oh it's like this you know consortium of working class acts who either couldn't afford or couldn't do the fringe on their own back yeah. so decided to go in it, on it together you know it's sort of an extension of the two-hander thing that most people do when they start because I think most people who do a two-hander can afford Edinburgh which is why they do it as a split rather than this which which is yeah, essentially yeah. saying these costs are getting out of control, which I think is a fair comment. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's like that's an oversight from my from my point of view because I'm interested. Class feels a very zeitgeisty topic, mm. you know, for for TV and in general, and as a personal interest. So mm. I'm annoyed that I've missed that. I'm sorry, um, <laughs> but that's the thing as well. You do have to be you you have to be aware of um, whatever intel I have in terms of what channels are interested mm. in. You do take that into when you're looking at stuff as well there was a a good example though of something coming out of of, of nowhere was so this is 2012 2013 i kind of scoured websites looking at recommendations and louisa omulan what would beyonce do was recommended and i'd never heard of her and mm-hmm. i think at that point she'd just done a lot of improv and yeah. stuff, so she hadn't really done and so it was the first week in the fringe i went and i took someone from avalon just more as a oh i'm going to see this person i have no idea what you know i'm just taking a punt and i remember walking into the room so one there was a massive queue mm. which was interesting because you're like okay this early on there's mm. clearly a little bit of buzz but i hadn't heard anything walked in and there's party music blaring and louisa's kind of stomping around chatting to people and immediately i was like i've made a massive mistake like this is not where like, it felt it was a free friend show mm. And it felt like someone that had, I don't know, like someone that, it felt, but there's something about her where she, it was like she just rocked up and was doing, and it didn't really feel like she was doing stand up. Mm. And then within two minutes, myself and the person I was with were staring at each other going, oh my mm. God. And that became like the big hit of Edinburgh yeah. that month. And that's such a, I've always tried to remember that mm. as a as a bar of going, like, you've got to, you've got to go take chances on things but it gets harder and harder and especially like if i'm not up for the whole month as well that's the thing there's just a it's so hard when you talk to someone i think i might have said this last time we were talking but it's so hard when you talk to someone and they want you to come and see their show Mm. and to them it's like they've got one show one hour a day how can you not make the time to see it but there's also i've got 10 other shows in my timetable there that i'm trying to squeeze in so yeah, it's very it's very it's very it's it's hard because you always feel like you're missed there's you know I, i might see like hundred shows in a fringe, but I'm always but I'm always gonna miss more because there yeah. are there are more on. And I do try I see like six, seven a day, which I know comedians might kind of scoff at, but it's not easy watching that much comedy. Yeah, <laughs> I th- that was gonna be my next question is I think there's a sweet spot for how many shows you can see in a day and actually still enjoy them. Because by the time I've seen maybe five shows a day, or if I if I go and see five shows, which is rare, I normally go and see three. If I go and see five shows a day, or if I were to by the fifth one, I'm probably not going to laugh. Like, yeah. I'm going to enjoy it, but I'm going to be laughed out. And I'm pr- I mean, it would take a lot to get me to laugh by that point. Yeah. Because I just, I, you know, who watches six, by the time you've watched six hours of Netflix, of like a comedy, you're enjoying it, but you're just like, 
I'm not gonna, you know what I mean? Like I know, I know this, and it's yeah. not gonna enjoy. And even like with true crime, you're like, I'm, murder doesn't feel like a big deal now. Exactly. That much, exactly. Six hours of details on it. Exactly. Well, that's that's me at three a.m. with conspiracy theories. I'm just <laughs> like, the Illuminati could be murdering us, guys. We gotta stop them. Um, but I just wondered how you keep your mind fresh for shows, because because obviously the the fifth show, for example, has a massive disadvantage to the first show. Yeah. Or even the first show, if you're you know like say the first show after this, you said you're a bit tired now, maybe you know that might have a disadvantage for them, and maybe the middle show is actually the best show. So I'm wondering how you take that into account, because obviously you maybe can't see it more than once, because like you said, you don't have yeah, got the yeah. time for that. So how how do you keep fresh, or at least be a, be more objective than maybe some reviewers are when they maybe get a text before a show that's upset them and then they do a bad review or whatever it is. So. Red Bull. Jaden, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I just I I and I never drink Red Bull outside of the Edinburgh Festival, oh, but right. I absolutely cane the stuff. There is a yeah, I, I think there's just an there's a, a reality to the fact that you're just not going to be able to be. But mm. I try and I always sit at the back so I'm not because then if I'm not able to laugh even though I'm enjoying it I'm yep. not a problem but I just try and concentrate on the on the stuff and and I, I know when I'm tired so mm. I can still watch a show even and it's but it goes the other way so like if I'm watching a show and I'm finding it really funny and the audience isn't or it's just a quiet day or the I can still recognize I can still see a good show even if personally my body language mm. um isn't necessarily isn't necessarily displaying that but I yeah it's just it's just hard I always think that with the awards as well though mm. is that it's no wonder that the shows that get nominated for the most part are shows that have got a really memorable hook mm. it's not like an agenda I think it's just that if you've seen that many shows a day what are you going to remember yes. you know you're going to remember someone that just did an hour of really banging stand up or you're going to remember someone with that story of something that's never ha- that's you know only happened to them and mm. or there's a gimmick in the show that you don't forget so there's just it's just the way it is but I'd rather do I'd rather see seven a day and be tired than yeah. see three a day because then the amount of sh- shows and awkward conversations I'd be having would be much more so it's better to see it still so that's the approach I take but mm. yeah when you especially when you're there's 10 minute gaps in between and stuff it's just a, it's a yeah it's very tough yeah I I think that's good for people to hear because I've, I think we've all been in the show where an industry person or, or just an audience member's been in who hasn't been laughing and then afterwards said, oh, it's a great show, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, your mind as a comedian wants to go, well, fucking laugh then. Yeah, I know. But, I like, know. the reality is, you know, we I've gone to shows before that I've really loved and I just haven't laughed. Yeah. And it isn't because they weren't funny. It's because I'm tired of laughing or because, you know, you're, you're yeah, so something else. Yeah, it's weird because it's like you're the, you're the only other person in the room uh, that's not there for pleasure you're there for mm. work and the same with the person on stage yeah. I mean hopefully you know I enjoy the show and the person enjoys doing it but you're just there for a different reason mm. and so you just yeah again I've just I've hopefully just have, after having seen so many shows I can recognise a good one mm. in spite of my um, in spite of my how personal, like you know, personal I'm feeling, and that's the other thing as well. The one thing I will say as well is I do try and have a respect for. Like, I don't go out and get hammered during the fringe. Like I've had nights where I've stayed up to four or five, but I'll stop. I, you know, I'll never be really drunk or anything because mm. it's not fair when you, especially when you've been given free tickets to stuff and mm. a professional capacity to show up hungover, yawning and whatnot. But that's just it's that's disrespectful. So you've mm. got to. From my part, the best thing I can do, I know that there's an ugly side to the industry and people don't necessarily like TV people, but I will try and hold up my side of the bargain and and be as professional as possible and show up, don't walk out and watch the, you know, watch the drink, drink my Red Bull and not be, and, and not like kind of show up in any, like in any way that impacts on how I view the show other than just natural human tiredness. Why do you think people don't like TV people? 
I was trying to think about this, if there was an analogy. With the Edinburgh Festival, it's a trade fair, right? Yeah. From, from my point of view. I think a lot of comics come up and it, they don't view it as that. It's yeah. like they love doing comedy, which is great. And as yeah. a comedy fan, like I love that. But it's sort of like... Now, this might not work, Simon, as an analogy, but we can... Let's, but it's almost like... Let's go anywhere. Let's try it. But you show, it's, it's like you show up to a nightclub to scout dancers. Mm-hmm. But there's some people that are just dancing there for fun. For fun, yeah. And going up to them and being like, you could be... if. You know, if you change that move, and they're like, "I'm just here, yeah, I'm just yeah. dancing for the people around me." Yeah. So you sort of feel like you're simultaneously a necessary part of the Edinburgh Festival and a hindrance. I get it? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Because you feel it, it's like the dance, like nobody's watching, kind of thing. Like that's what they want to do, but you're watching. Yeah, and like when I meet, if I'm introduced to someone, I I tend to I try and avoid saying that I work in TV or that mm. I I just and a lot of the times I think, especially if I'm with comics that I know, I think a lot of other comics just presume I'm an act. Not because mm. I'm funny, but because, <laughs> I, but, because, but because I don't bring it up, because it mm. does just change the... I just feel an awkwardness about it because I know that there's a baggage and we're not always looked at in the most favourable way. So few people get the benefit of TV yeah. people, you know, in the grand scheme yeah. of the industry, I think. Totally. I, for my, 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 my way of looking at that is the other way around, so... I've, I've, I don't work in TV and I've never really done anything for TV in that capacity. And so uh, my problem with it, if I'm honest with you, unless, you know, uh, with TV people in general, is the change in the mood that other people uh, have. It, 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 that's what frustrates me. So it's a bit like I did, I did a gig with, and I'm going to keep them anonymous because I don't want to come off name droppy, yeah. but I did a gig at, at the stand and they had a really big headliner. And I was just chatting to another comedian and when they walked in, everyone in the room just, like, not stared, but like they, they, it just went a bit quiet as if to sort of go, we need to talk to them. Oh, they might, you know, be, you know, as if like they had something to offer or, or, you know, it's a famous person in the room. And I just carried on chatting to the person I was with. I noticed they were there. Yeah. And then they said, oh, can you pass me a drink from the fr- in the green room in the stand? They have like a fridge for things and I was happened to be next to it. And I passed them a drink. And then after I'd finished, I just said hi. And the person was much more amenable to me because I hadn't treated them differently than, than that. And then I, and, and I found it uncomfortable then to speak to anyone else in the room just because they they sort of you know what I mean like you felt weird and I feel like when someone mentions it on TV the immediacy so I don't go to like any of the bars like Loft yeah, Bar or yeah. Abattoir or anything because I feel like immediately if someone hears someone's an agent or something they think they're going to get signed from sitting around drinking with them and it's like Unless they brought you there for the drink, it's highly unlikely they're going to just go, oh, I'd love to sign you, or I'd yeah. love to put you on my program. They've not seen you do any work. They've seen you have a drink, and that's, you know? So so that's the only thing that... I, too, actually know someone that got signed because they were funny. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fine, okay. He's doing really well There's now. One. Well, There's it, one. But it's so, funny, it's so weird, because I remember being, like, at the time, like, really? They've signed them based on the fact that they hosted drinks in their house. Weird. Yeah, wow, okay. I'll, t- I'll tell you who that is. Off, yeah, I'll have to um, offer but that's uh, I mean I, okay I, fine there's been one in the history of comedy <laughs> yeah. um, and I'll no, in that. general you're right mm. I, I um, you're, so again it's like I'm trying not to sound like a wanker but you do for some people this you podcast be- is for that you're absolutely <laughs> fine <laughs> but you do become aware of that change and actually you just want to have a conversation you, you just yeah. want to socially have a conversation but yeah. then again it's like you're aware of why you're there in a professional capacity and so it's not like it's a problem mm. the worst part is if you've seen someone's show and not liked it <laughs> yes because that doesn't make them a bad person. No. And it doesn't make me a bad person for it not being my thing. But you might bump into each other socially, and it's like, do we talk about the show or do mm. we not? And really, there's just no reason why you can't just sit there and talk about something else. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like, it doesn't make anyone in the process bad. Completely. It, it's, I find it very difficult. That's why I try and avoid bringing it up. 
mm. not because I'm like, oh god, now everyone's going to be like, oh, TV guy, but more just that it can sometimes have that bit of baggage where I'd rather just sit and have a chat yeah, with yeah. someone. It's, yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, and I get what you're yeah. saying. I think that's compl- I think that's completely true as well. There's mm. just sometimes it just changes. It's the way it changes people around you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so let's so let's talk about when you like a show, and you maybe don't want to work with them straight away, but you want to start a relationship beyond just being someone in the audience. Would you go up to them immediately after? Would you drop them an email? Are you are you one for uh, maybe trying to trying to meet up with them later on in the week? Because obviously talking to someone after a show is not necessarily the best time, and, and we all know that. But also it is quite a good time because you know you're there, they're there. They might not have time. You might not have time. What's what's your process for carrying on that relationship if you wanted to rather than just keeping them in your back pocket for a show if you you know down the line yeah so, so nothing makes my skin crawl more than the idea of going up to someone after a show and be like hi uh, i'm actually a tv producer i mean i love your show um <laughs> i didn't mean but, you'd no, no, but, but, yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. if it's someone that i know and they're at the door and obviously with a lot more show a lot of shows now a lot of people a lot of the comics are at the door i'll and if i if I know that they know me and they know I, they knew I was coming, I'd quickly go, "Hi, I'm Jason from Avalon. I really, I really enjoyed that." And then, but then I go, I'm, "I don't stand and yeah. talk to them necessarily." I mean, there might be a few occasions where I, ha- I have, if, if, if it was relevant, yeah. but I certainly don't do any business chat there and then after the mm. show. I think that's, I don't think that's appropriate. Oh, it's like no. someone's just come, they've just come off stage, and also there's a lot of audience members that want to chat to them, and that's mm-hmm. more important, I think, and like, from an, an, an immediate sense. The other thing is that some acts don't want to meet during Edinburgh because they're in the the headspace of the show. So if it's someone mm. I've like, so there was an act last year that I just loved, and I messaged him and I said, "Look, I'd love to just sit and chat with you." I was like, "I don't have anything specific, but I just would like to kind of just introduce myself and, mm. and understand a bit more about what you're do- what you're doing." If you don't have the headspace for it in Edinburgh, let's do it in September. And he yeah. said, "I'd love to do that in September." So we met up in September. Mm. Yeah, again, it's it's usually stems from if I'm aware that they know I'm there, mm. I'll follow up because I don't want them to think I wasn't a fan, or or I'll go to the agent and say I love if there was if there's an agent involved, I'll say mm. I love that show. I'd love to chat to them in September, and then they'll probably relay that. Yeah, I try. I I, d- I mean Edinburgh, it's, it's like it's a, it is a really great. T- I mean, you you know you live in London. It's like mm. the idea of setting up meetings in London is like ridiculously. Oh yeah hard you know timings and all that sort of thing so it is really useful and I do try and do that but uh, what I'm very mindful of and might have even been guilty of in the past is you go you meet with someone that you really liked and I think they sometimes think that you're going to sit down and go let's do a sh- you know yeah, let's yeah. do a show and you can't promise any, anyone in the world you know you're, you're kind of just saying I, I do I do work with a company that makes stuff I really like I really like the show and let's just keep, let's you know let's maybe this is the start of a professional relationship. Mm. What I've tried to do as a strategy for development is identify acts that I think are just on the cusp, mm. and trying to think. Of, so meeting with them, then going away thinking of an idea based on you know maybe something they've suggested or something I've thought of from their show, and have an idea that's good to go when they do have a mo- the the momentum and the cachet with uh, commissioners. That's sort of my strategy, which is not a short-term successful one to be honest mm. is having ideas and a producer myself good to go with that talent that if they suddenly win the edinburgh award mm. and the channel starts swarming around them they've they they can go i've got a show and i've got a producer and a production company all good to go yeah. that's the way i feel that's the way i with my development stuff that's how i want to work but yeah sometimes it's just there's a it's a longer it's going to be a longer term thing and you do just want to what i did de- what i definitely don't do is i don't just meet with someone just because I want to meet them just mm. to say hi I could I usually tr- would try and have something in mind yeah but there's occasional 
cases like again the act I mentioned last year he's quite a he's quite a unique act and I think I just wanted him to know that uh that he was on radar that he was on radar and yeah. that there's a telly person that is interested in engaging mm. with him with ideas because I think he probably felt like he's too weird to be considered for that stuff yeah so it's part of partly that I think that's also really imp- and that's great that you do that because I think like you said a lot of the conversations ha- happen so by the time you get invited in to even try for a spot on you know stand-up comedy center or whatever mm. there's been about 30 conversations behind the scenes that you're not aware of and and I think it's worth people knowing especially if they're a weirder act that you're in the mix because you know often it stifles creative I mean I, I see it here all the time where I'll go and do I'll do, do a compilation show and I'll see four acts and I'll go you look like you're trying to be the comedian you've seen on TV yeah or you look like you're trying to be what you think a comedian is and I think you'd be a lot funnier and a lot more interesting if you just did something that you liked rather than what you think will sell yeah and and so if and and that's what i think slows down a lot of creativity here is when people you have to come with it's a show business thing you know you have to come with the mind of i'm going to do a show i'm going to be creative i'm going to do that but you also have to go with how am i going to sell tickets how do you pitch it to people how do you get them in the door how do i get industry in the door at an arts festival that's a trade fair yeah and and i think that's the i think the second half is the hard bit for most comedians because most of us just want to do the performing and and have fun and get the thing to be funny whereas you know a lot of a a lot of us could benefit from from knowing that just because we're you know it doesn't have to be watered down for tv is what i'm saying yeah and i think that's the that's a big misconception for people when they watch tv because most I, i you know as someone who has friends who watch tv still i don't have a tv but a lot of friends who watch them complain and go Oh, there's nothing good on, or oh, whatever, you know, I watch this thing and it was awful, or whatever it is. And and they'll often say it's because, oh, it's, you know, it's all, so, you know, I, I like them more when I saw them live, they didn't have to not say words, and I have to remind them, it's a channel, they can say that you don't want swearing, or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so, so also, I think sometimes things just don't translate, they're just built for live, they're there to be enjoyed in the room, hmm. and trying to take them to TV, there's just something's lost, because there's a different, there's a second audience watching it, there's, yeah. not, there's the audience in the room, and there's nothing worse than you're sat watching TV at home, and you're like, this is a show that's been done, Done to other people, and I'm what, and I'm observing that. That's not. This is not a show that's aimed. Mm. It's not f- not aimed at. I don't mean in terms of demographic. Mm. I mean the show's actually not being performed for me at home. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's, it's worth just acknowledging that, like mm. kind of you know, there's certain acts that are brilliant, and f- and just because they won't translate to TV, it's not TV's fault, and it's not their fault. It's mm. just that's just the way it is. It's just that they what they do is very much a an in the room experience. Sometimes yeah, sometimes TV's guilty of that of trying to fit. So again, and 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 trying to take what someone does live and they what and they do water it down and then they ruin it. And actually, and it's, and it's like maybe just it wasn't ever supposed to be made you know converted to TV. And uh, mm. the other thing that's brutal, by the way, is I've had an agent tell me so and so is looking looking forward to you come to the show and they really want your feedback and. I've then spoken to them afterwards and they did not want my feedback. <laughs> and that's horrible because you're yeah. like, well, I've got no entitlement to tell yeah, you yeah, to, yeah. to give critique or anything, but I thought you wanted it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And, you know, I was told that they wanted it and it was really awful. And that's another thing as well is that the fringe, it's so difficult for performers. I can be an awkward person at the best of times <laughs> and I get so concerned that I'm just going to say the wrong thing. You just never know. I mean, by God, like I've learnt the hard way that some acts don't read reviews. So don't yeah. talk about it. I've went up to someone and been like, I thought that review was really harsh. I mean, this is like early days of Fringe. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, what review? 
bad. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it yeah, was yeah, just yeah. horrible. And, it, and so, yeah, I've learnt lessons along the way as well in terms of tact mm. with, with that. Because, as you say, the most important thing actually for the month is the show and the audiences, mm. I think. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering, because obviously you've said that you, you leave gaps for word of mouth and for outlying shows that, you know, maybe you've never, from people maybe you've never heard of. So I'm wondering, because from, from my perspective, a lot of that happens from other acts. So yeah. acts checking out other things and telling them stuff. And I assume at Avalon, you will have acts who will, you will speak to and will say, oh, I went and popped in and saw this and it was great. Yeah. But I'm wondering whether... Uh, you re- like you said you read some reviews is it reviews that help with that is it the audience reviews on the website is it a mix of the two as well as like people telling you stuff what, what kind of word of mouth do you put stock in are, th- are there areas of it that you go I'm always going to read their reviews because I like them and then I'll ask other people if they thought it was just y- you know yeah I think rev- uh, people might not want to hear it. reviews are a big source of like I've got like the British comedy website <laughs> you listen I, really close there's a lot of comedians going no but they have a round but they have a roundup of everywhere of yeah. Of, of all the reviews that come each morning, so I always read them first thing. Um, just because if there's something that's getting loads of traction, then mm. you know your interest is going to be peaked. But then, but the, the biggest source, uh, so it's that. But then it's also it is people ar- ar- around you. Like I was going to say, fellow industry prote- professionals, right. but that feels mental. I've got to say, with comedians recommending shows, sometimes comedians love other comedians because uh, because they're doing something that they couldn't imagine because they understand yeah. what it's like to be up there they're more taken by the fact that oh that person's that's such a risk to do that on so it's not necessarily that it's actually good mm. it's the endeavor that comics appreciate Completely. and others a lot more and so there's times that c- comedians have like you know I've had loads of recommendation for one show and I'll go and I'll be like oh you like this because th- this is a show that for other comics mm. <laughs> I'm always wary when someone says that yeah Yeah. oh you, well, you're aware of me saying no, that no when mean? anyone says this is a show for other comics just just because it feels like it's a backhanded compliment um, because it feels like you've written it for a very small select group of people that don't tend to find a lot of things but funny. I think that sometimes <laughs> does ha- but I think that sometimes does happen I think yeah. sometimes comics get so in their head with the industry part of it that you forget that there's punters coming that have no idea what a callback is or no idea you know like again I sorry but it's probably better to talk examples and I don't want to do that but what I mean is that there's certain acts that are brilliant live and chaotic but if you're a straight stand-up that just has an hour of observations mm. you're absolutely blown away by that person mm. and the mad stuff they're doing because you mm. couldn't imagine doing it so you come out going that was incredible mm. but it's not necessarily incredible for the the, the other audi- the other audience members it's incredible mm. to use a comic because you know that what it's like to be on stage yeah. and you know what it'd be like to take chances like that does mm. that make sense totally. I, I, d- I don't mean that the the performer in the first place mm. is trying to alienate the audience and only play to comedians I just mean that that, that it can that in terms of why someone's recommending it it's for that reason rather than because this is a great show as an audience member to yeah. go to does that make sense yeah it does make sense yeah yeah I uh, I, I find it interesting that um so if you you know when you're watching a show or when you're watching someone perform even in a compilation I assume do you go and see compilations or do you only see solos oh you know I, I actually I used to quite a lot and I've this year I haven't um, except best in class you're going to go except best in class <laughs> yeah which I will, I will try to but, um, but yeah I don't know why actually I, th- I, th- I think it's also because I'm doing development I need to be working like for the most part my priority is working with acts that might mm. be ready to go to TV in terms of ideas when I was doing the stand-up slot you could find a lot of you know it's, it's someone doing a 20 if that 20 is great mm. then there's a chance you could put them straight onto t- so I feel like I need to articulate this properly 
So with development, if you're coming up with an idea for some for someone, that that person needs to actually be able to carry a show, mm-hmm. and they need to be more experienced. And an open spot isn't going to be able to carry their own TV show necessarily. Completely. And then there's also the profile, the, mm-hmm. the profile issue. Are you going to get a show away with that person in it? Yep. Right. Whereas when I was doing the Russell stand-up slot, there's mm-hmm. loads of different stand-up slots. Yep. It's Russell Howard's show. It's not the guest. So you, yep. there's more leeway yep. in terms of who you book for it. So someone like Daniel Simonson wasn't a particularly big name when I booked him, mm. but he had an absolutely amazing 15 to 20 minutes. Mm. And, I, and I think I actually saw him on a... I think he was in the Comedy Reserve. And, and, so, I, I, and so I could book him for that, but I wouldn't have gone to see Daniel Simonson, Simonson at that point and been like, he should have his own TV show no. because he, he wasn't re- necessarily ready for that at the time, yeah. if that makes sense. That does make sense. That, that, was, that was sort of my next question is like, because you, you're watching it with a, with a sort of a lens, if you like, you know, you're going, how will this look on screen? Not just how it will look in the room when you're recording it for the screen. So I'm wondering whether there's, there's, a, there's an internal process when you're watching shows of going, okay, they're, they're going to be amazing on the circuit, but that just won't work on TV. And and how you, if you would ever give people advice on that and be like, I love the act. It's just in the moment that wouldn't, I, you know, or even or even you you can, for example, Louise Romalan, for example. A lot of when I, you know, I've spoken to her before, but she says, I, what I do takes an hour. Like what I do narratively yeah. takes an hour. That's really true. And so I can't do a twenty-minute spot. And I mean, don't get me wrong, she's done spots on things more recently, but for a while, everyone was, you know, raving about that show and it was doing very, very well. And so I think when you looked at it, you were like, I don't think she could do a shorter spot. Not my personal preference, but you know, that's what some people, and she was saying, some people were saying. So I'm wondering whether you go and see an hour and go, fuck, that's an amazing hour. However, where are they going to do 20? What 20 can they take out of that? I don't know how they would, would they they have a tight 20? Would they be able to keep to time? Would they, you know, how how do you deal with that sort of thing? So I guess that's, um, in specific relation to booking a set, yeah. a stand-up set. Well, there's definitely... So Nick Helm, when I sort of keep hold of the gold, and mm. then he did the uh, Russell's Good News, yeah, yeah. I knew that yeah. I really wanted him to do the show, mm. but I also knew that some of it was chaotic, and and, mm. and so that what that process was... I had a very honest conversation with him about, we'd really like you to do it. Can you book in some gigs? And between the two of us, let's work on what the set could be so that I know that I've got faith in the fact that what you're going to be recording for 20 minutes, he ended up doing nearly 30. But I know that I can edit that down. So that's the thing is that you you kind of go, sometimes you can let someone, with the good news slot, because they were recording 20 that got edited to 14, you could have a bit of leeway with certain routines of going, well, just record it, and maybe it doesn't go in, or maybe, if, as long as I knew, know I could shorten it, it'd be fine. But yeah, sometimes you see someone and you're, like, I always love Brian Gittins, but Brian Gittins just, I, I don't feel like, I mean, he might completely disagree, but I didn't ever feel like it would work on good news, and that was always a shame, because personally, I, I, I loved him. And then a book, Nina Conti, who was fairly established mm. at that time, to be fair, but with her, there was no need to do 20 minutes. She could just do a tight 14, because she had an amazing, uh, I think it was like two routines, the thing with the mask. And there was no, it was like, well, that will just go in wholesale, because actually it couldn't, so the, pr- the problem initially was, how do you, you can't edit that down, there's too much conti- mm. continuity, there's too many continuity issues. But actually, you're like, well, we don't need her to do 20. It's brilliant just to have a go for 14. I remember once we had Reggie Watts, who does completely, uh, this is obviously not stemming out of Edinburgh, mm. but doesn't have a set list. He just messes around and does music. And mm. that was one of the biggest nightmares to edit ever. Yeah, yeah. Worth it, because Reggie Watts, and he's great. Mm. 
but that was such a rare example because yeah you need to know that you can in the end you're delivering content to a broadcaster mm. and no matter how much you love the act you can't you can't you can't sacrifice you know in the end what you have to you can't sacrifice the fact that you're essentially just delivering and if you can't you know if you can't do that so i'm i'm not being very articulate there no, but no, but it. i know that there was a, there was another show with an act and she recorded a set that didn't go out because no one had been to see what she was going to do and then she recorded it and they went well we can't edit that down mm. and you're like that's crazy so I would always work with the acts but if it was someone I really wanted I'd work with sorry shorter answer if it was someone <laughs> I really wanted I'd work with them on what that 20 could be mm. and just be very honest about what I need what I needed if it was someone that just wouldn't work at all I just wouldn't go I wouldn't go I wouldn't try you wouldn't I wouldn't try and take what someone does and ruin it just yeah. to make it work for the slot Totally. If you can't come to their Edinburgh show, and I'm aware that the true answer to this might mean you get more emails, <laughs> but would it ever be worth sending you a clip of a set or of a show so you can watch it in your own time outside of Edinburgh? And also, is it worth inviting you to a Soho run, for example, if you couldn't make it to Edinburgh? Like, what, like how, how important... What I'm trying to ask here is, how important is this month versus if, for example, you couldn't make it this month but but they're doing some shows in London that are near you. Would you still go and check them out after that? Like, is it has it got to be this month? No, no. Um, it's just the fact that if I see seven shows in a day, that's seven evenings in yeah. London. What about, on a very basic level? I I see it as a especially as a producer in comedy, you have to go out and see comedy, right? Mm. But you don't get paid to go out and see comedy. You don't get paid extra overtime or anything for mm. going to a gig at night. So what a lot of people don't appreciate is you work during the day, and especially when I was doing Good News, it was like, that was really long hours anyway. Mm. But at that time, when it was a stand-up slot, pretty much if you emailed me, I'd come and see you. Like, you mm. know, there was a time where I was going out nearly every night of the week to see comedy, mm. and that wasn't sustainable from a, <laughs> you know, I didn't have a life, basically. Mm. And, and again, it's not like you're getting paid overtime or anything for that but i think it's an important part of the job and you should do it if someone's been chasing me to see their edinburgh show and i've not been able to see it uh i feel guilty and then they if they've got a few especially if they've got a few dates in london that's great because then i can you know there'll be one that hopefully should work if they're just in one day that's sometimes more difficult yeah. but i'd always try and come along i do th more and more people are recording it and that's great as well because to be able to fit it into my uh my working hours in the office mm. is way easier than me having to set aside an evening to go but I mean just to be clear I do think it's important in this job that you do go out and see yeah, stuff yeah. and you'll never get a better sense of someone than seeing them in the room mm. and people might feel a bit hesitant of sending like poor quality for you know poor, a poor quality recording of their show but you can still see you can still see if the stuff's good you know mm. and if the audience are reacting so um so yeah it's definitely it's definitely useful and in some ways it's it's just as valid as Edinburgh. But in Edinburgh, you've just got the opportunity to yep. see a lot more in a day. Yeah, I, I, yeah. No, what I'm asking there is just, uh, I think a lot of people uh, pedestal this festival. And for obvious reasons, because it is the biggest one in the world, and it is or one of the biggest ones in the world, like top three, I think it's like the second or the big, whatever. And also it's, a, like you said, a good opportunity for you to manage your time better because you can do seven evenings in a day, yeah. for example. But I think... There's a lot of people who have sent me messages, especially in the last week or so when I've been posting about pods I'm doing up here, going, like we said, it's, exp it's exp I can't do it. And, and I feel like I'm going to get overlooked. And, I, and I, I often say to them, I don't think it, you know, this matters, but you can get them to see you outside of it. Yeah. Because most of the opportunity, I mean, this year's different for me. This one's a massive outlier because this year I've had more industry in than ever and I've had more Great. interest than ever. But in terms of the last four, four, three shows I've done, you know, 
it's always been when I do it in London, or if I or if I take it around, you know, I go to Brighton and I invite Mick Perrin or so, you know, like it, it, it's it's always been somewhere else that something else has come out of it rather yeah. than Edinburgh itself, and 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 that's that mindset changed for me from my first to second show where I was like, oh, Edinburgh isn't the ending; it's the start of a tour. Gotcha, yeah. Start. No, but you know what I mean. When it's your first show, you think that's like the level up moment in a video game. Right, I've done yeah. Edinburgh, start the next show. Whereas now in my head, it's like, no, I'm touring that one and writing the next one, and so you're on that cycle and I think it's uh, you know especially for someone who's working in TV because I think you know you can invite bookers up here easier so if you can't get to their club in Liverpool or whatever to do the 10 minute spot because it's too expensive to do that it is easier to invite them to come and see you do a 10 spot here but for TV people I think that's that's the holy grail for a lot of people and if they can't afford to do Edinburgh I think they think they're getting overlooked I think the the bigger problem is regionality is like is not being able to see acts in Newcastle or you know because mm. it's so and hopefully that's changing with the fact that you know Channel Four and BBC have, have, have now set up offices elsewhere and that, that's the biggest problem. I mean Ed, Edinburgh's obviously incredibly important in terms of just uh, you know it's, it's it, it is the biggest trade fair and and you do pay more attention to that you know you can build up momentum over a month and 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 stand and be recognised for that, but. It's never. It's also in some ways never been less important because now you've got the capacity to upload stuff online, mm. and for both industry people to watch, but also for people to watch. Mm. You know, if I'm if I see a clip of someone doing stand up, you know, it's someone like Adam Rowe. I came to see in Edinburgh because of how his, how well his clips were doing online. You know that he was recording at the Hot Water Club in Liverpool. Mm. So there's a there's a there's a greater capacity to be seen outside of Edinburgh now. There's also, uh, as we were talking about the fatigue of seeing loads of Edinburgh shows, if you invite me to your show in London in September, and that's the only thing I'm seeing that night, yeah. then it's more likely to leave an impact on me mm. and for me to think about it more because I've come out specifically just to see that. It is also simultaneously harder to find people yep. that will go, I mean, you know, I don't have kids, but a lot of people in telly, yep. you know, will be married and have kids and they've got lives and or they live out of London and whatnot, so it's not easy enough physically for them to mm. make shows in the evening. And that in that way, you know, Edinburgh, you come up to see shows, so that's what you're doing. Yep. So, yeah, I don't, think, I don't think that's a concise answer, but it's just more that there's so many different elements of it hopefully mm. that makes sense totally um, we've got two minutes okay and so I figured for the last bit of this we'll it would sing? be huh we'll sing we can sing <laughs> uh, Caroline sweet Caroline yeah I, it's, too, it's actually <laughs> it's too early I've backed out okay I thought for the last two minutes we could just quickly round up any common mistakes that you find people have trying to either impress you or get you to come to shows so what tropes are you noticing people are doing because they think that's what tv people are looking for maybe in their show or a set and what people send you that uh put you off coming not not you know because uh, you know their show isn't to your taste but just like i don't know getting your name wrong in an email for example or things like that so that people can just try and avoid common pit- pitfalls yeah um I mean, getting the name wrong in the email—that's interesting because it does, because you, you, it does make you feel like this is less tailored to me. Mm. But on a basic level, it shouldn't matter because it's just an admin error. Oh, it's, it's really. Uh, let me think of this before I answer. I think I brought this up earlier when we were chatting before. I think being careful about when you're seen for the mm-hmm. first time is important. You should think about when you start inviting people, especially people in telly. You should be close. You should be close to. You should be close to being ready, but then it's hard because as an act, when do you gauge when you're ready for that? You, mm. You've never been better than you are at that point, right? Mm. But I do think being careful about when you are seen first is important. I'm trying. To, I'm thinking of like people that chase me a lot on email. 
and sometimes they just become this person that chases you on email but then actually there's people that I've gone to see because it's like they are persistent it's like oh they specifically want me to see mm. the show you know what it is it's just that I just feel like there's sometimes there's no right or, or, or wrong way like the, the the greatest thing like I say the greatest I've said this before but the, the if you just come up with a really great show that you've worked really hard on and audiences love it and it's it's then and I know this is a bit more selective but it then gets the momentum um, from reviews and audience and word of mouth that is way more powerful than anything like you know to, to go to see something that is that is organically created that, that has organically created that momentum mm. is um, is the thing that's the most effect in making me want to see something but I also think it's just think about why you're why you're doing it like the, there's so many shows that I see up here where they're just not ready or they've just not been worked on hard enough. Mm. And take out the industry part of it. If you're spending like five grand to come up for the month, put the effort in. I once mm. saw, and I had an argument with someone about this actually, there's someone I once saw and the show was, I think ob- I can say objectively awful. The audience <laughs> clearly didn't like it, so yeah. I can't say objectively yeah. awful. Well, you not say their names, you can say objectively yeah, awful. Yeah, it, f- it felt like that. They didn't have an ending for the show. It, it petered out, it was, under, it was underwritten, it was, it, it was, it f- was under time significantly mm. it just wasn't very good and then later that night i saw them out getting hammered and having an amazing time in brooks bar and i was like god if that was me i'd be at home trying to work out yeah, how yeah. to make this show better and there was someone i said this to and they're like yeah but if you've had a bad day at work sometimes you might want to go out with your friends and little steam it's not for you to say but i sort of feel like it's such a you're st- the one thing that makes me so guilty is that so many comics are spending so much money up mm. here and that's why, like, in terms of my small part, I take it really seriously because I'm aware of how much it means mm. to act. You know, I'll never waste a comp. I'll, you know, I'll never show up drunk. I never, I never drink alcohol in shows or anything like that because I'm aware of what my role is. Mm. But similarly, as a comic, um, when you've got paying punters coming in, mm. getting so swept up in all the industry of it and all that and other what other comics are doing, it's like just play to what's in front of you like if people are paying money to come and see you mm. give them value for money and work and work really hard on that show that you're doing and i guess also think about uh, in a more industry sense is think about what is why are you doing it why what is it about you that is different to everyone else what have you got to say mm. that is that makes you worth seeing because mm. that then translates across the board to both audience and industry is your reason for for doing it and what makes you different mm. or just working to like working so hard that you're at a level of quality that you're unrivaled you mm. know or that there's just not many people wor- um, are as good as you I feel like that's a really messy answer but I think w- one thing that hopefully we get from these conversations is that it's a really messy industry and yeah. there's just and I think people want and I guess the thing with this podcast is you want the answers right and some no, in some ways you know but you're exploring you're, you're, you're exploring yeah, yeah but actually there's no truth to it no I, I used to, and now I just think to myself, you know what? It's you know, uh, it's so random the whole industry. Even though it's a, even though we like to think it's more of a meritocracy, that you can't take things personally, and you can't think you know they're against me or that they're not, or, or, or you, like you said, you, you know, you have to get the pers- more more and more. This is becoming more about becoming empathetic to your side of this. Yeah, because from from my perspective, I could sit there and go, it's only an hour a day. Why don't you come see it? But the reality is, your day is seven shows a day plus other things you're doing for other people, plus, you know, maybe trying to see a friend, you know, every now and then if they're up here or whatever, or in between things you want to get some food, you know, or like something over, you know, you... you, you 
Yeah, I found my, I found myself in a car park eating chips and cheese last. Uh, it was the first, it was the first week I was up, and yeah. it was just I couldn't find anything to eat, and it was pouring rain. I was holding my umbrella in my left hand and like balancing the chips on my knee. Yeah. Glamour of TV. Yeah, <laughs> and then exactly. And then I had a meeting to go to half an hour later, and I thought if only you could have seen me yeah, half yeah. an hour ago. But then the other thing is is that I'm here and I've got people above me, and I'm trying to impress them, and I've got commissioners and mm. that. I'm like, why are they not considering my show that I've pitched to them? You know, really? so I'm working the same, and and the, to the same pressures and asking the same questions mm. in a very different, you know, but in a, in a, a slightly different way. But yeah, it's just hard, isn't it? I think the the fringe is, in some ways, it's just amazing. But I've seen, I see so much of the personal sacrifice and how hard it is for people, and you can, you know, I unfortunately you can't put everyone on telly. Not everyone's right for telly. Mm. Maybe I should just go back to being a punter. Simon. <laughs> I could just enjoy it and feel free and not have to worry about the comics afterwards. <laughs> that just sounds horrible. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming back on. I really appreciate it. Okay, thanks. That was Jason. Hearing about how Avalon operates was so interesting to me. I've always, I've always loved looking at it from the outside and seeing how big they've got and how influential they are and just, just the level to which they are able to operate. It's just... A defining entity within the comedy industry has been really excited. So, get a peek behind the curtain has been really cool. I learnt loads about how shows are put together, from how the ideas are formed or how the formats are pitched to him, to how they get to look on TV, to how much care goes into the edit on TV. I think I think we've mentioned it quite a bit in the show. You know. It's very easy for you to sit at home and say, no, there's nothing good on TV today because, you know, you don't like it or because you're not sure. Or, or we've all said stuff like, oh, they're much better at when they're live. Well, that's because they've been edited. And as we said, editing is a really good thing. If I didn't edit this podcast, it would be fucking awful, right? So it's it's worth it. It's worth taking time. I hope you really enjoyed it. I really love this. If you did enjoy it, you might also enjoy the episode with Chris Sussman from BBC Studios or Rob Popper from Popper Studios. Both are linked in the show notes or you can scroll back and find them yourselves. If you've enjoyed this and you want to support the show, which you bloody should, if, you have, if, you, if you've been enjoying this, even just this episode, but if you've been enjoying the show for a while and you've done nothing to support it or you've been like, well, I've just been listening, it's not really... Don't, don't switch off now. Just write, okay? First thing you can do, check out the show notes on my website and see where I'm gigging. If I'm gigging near you, please come I'm in Melbourne Adelaide Wellington and Dunedin in the next couple of months I'd really appreciate any support if you know anyone in those places or you're in those places please buy a ticket if not please leave us a review five stars ideally if not a four that reads like a five would be perfect if you've already done that please make a donation PayPal links in my show notes or you can become a patron from one dollar was this worth 80p it's got to be worth 80p this was nearly 12 hours of editing for me plus four hours of recording with Jason it's got to be worth 80p of your time so if you can donate that'd be absolutely amazing uh if, if you can't donate just share a link tell a friend pass it on on social media tag me in it and I'll thank you thank you very much for everything and anything you do to help this project continue the RC Industry Podcast is a fruit that got in gravity's way production for the internet. All elements were created by me, comedian Simon Kane. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for subscribing. And thank you very much for rating and donating if you do. I'll see you all in about 14 days time. Bye.